What's up, ladies and gents? Welcome to the Elk Hunt Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Rich. And if you're new here, this podcast feed is a place for all of the elk hunting interviews that I've done over the last six or seven years. Some are Wapiti Wednesdays, some are from my original podcast. But I wanted to compile the largest collection of elk hunting knowledge and interviews ever put together, which is pretty cool. And I would love your guys' help getting it out there to the world. So if you could do me a huge favor, uh, this is a new feed. So go leave it a five-star review and maybe tell a friend about it. But thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you guys enjoy this elk hunting podcast. Alrighty guys, welcome to the podcast. It's Wap T Wednesday. We got a whole crew. We got some horse guys. I convinced Zach to join the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just tagging along. Learn some stuff. About. You're my co-host now. I didn't yeah. tell you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to ask questions about hunting with horses. We'll ask him. Absolutely. Okay. So, guys, everybody introduce yourself. Ty, go ahead. I'm Ty Leary, um, located in Bozeman, Montana. Um, been a Montana, born and raised. Started, I guess I went to, was born, grown up in Lewistown, Montana until 2000. Grown up. I was grown up. <laughs> Hello, six, and moved out to Bozeman, and I've been here. I live west of Bozeman now, but just living that city life. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> living all these hipsters. They got good coffee and good breakfast, though, so I'll stick around for that. What's the best breakfast place? Jam. Is Jam better than Storm Castle? We go to Storm Castle after we work some days, but I've been crashing Jam lately. It's pretty good. Storm Castle, Storm Castle is way closer to my house, though. Yeah, it is, and you got to go up Main Street for Jam, but it's pretty good. That's what I don't like about anything. Main Street. Yeah. <clears throat> what's that? Uh, detour. Uh, what's that? <laughs> God, it's like Nordic or we went to some. Brewery? No, no, no. No, that's a brewery. That's a total chick hangout too, by the way. Um, <laughs> it's like a, Sean and I described Nordic as girls night out. But there was like, <laughs> there was like some place downtown I went that was so packed. Uh, it was a breakfast place. I don't remember the name of it. On Main? Yeah, it was is... like some vegan place. Don't ask why it was Nova? There. Yeah, that's no, the whole... <laughs> yeah, there's some, there's some backs. They got like some MTV roots. Like some of the people that worked there were like on some MTV shows, I guess. I wouldn't even That's know. as far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> one of those reality shows. I, think, I don't know which one, but I've heard. <laughs> I feel like this is awkward that you know that. I'm all making I've fun of it. I've been here for a long time. This is how the conversations go on. Yeah. All right. James, introduce yourself. Uh, my name is James Newell uh, out of Belgrade, Montana. I'll claim Belgrade. Uh, contractor and hunter adventure. So excited. The to... horse whisperer. I don't know about horse whisperer, mountain trash, maybe. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, like James is a, that's part of it. Did James get you tie into horses? No. Uh, my dad tried a long, long time ago, and I went the motocross route, and then... Uh, it's a wise move. That's why we're friends. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> no, I, no, just hunting. I was sick of riding my mountain bike and hiking a lot and packing things out, so I, you know, I, I started looking around. I think Mark was probably more convincing, because I was always taking Mark's horses. He's like, I got four horses, mm. and I can't ride them all. So for years, I was just taking Mark's horses and Mark's trailer, and he was actually pissed when I bought Avi, my big draft horse. Okay. Because he's like, well, who's going to ride my horses now? I was like, well, I'm <laughs> sick of one of your horses. The one I was taking, I started to really hate, so I, I just went and bought my own. But I'd say Mark's more. So Ty guilty. was on the podcast with Mark Nichols, one of the best storytellers we've had on the podcast. 
Amazing. He's a good dude. Yeah, that was like last summer sometime. Yep. Yeah, I think, right it was, I think it was August. August? Yeah. Zach, introduce yourself. This is the first time Zach's been on the podcast, isn't First it? time, yeah. It wow. is. First time. So Zach Sandow from Missoula, Montana. Um, grown up in Montana my entire life. Left for a little bit, ended up coming back, but now I'm currently working at OnX in Missoula, visiting Bozeman for the day. Well, a couple days. And then Cody yeah. drugged me onto the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I was like, come on, we're going to do a podcast about horses. He's like, I don't know anything about horses. <laughs> I've been on them. My family has them, but I haven't hunted with them. Would you like, would you ever consider hunting with horses? Absolutely. It's just, a. I just didn't have, I haven't had the opportunity. Okay. My uncles and grandparents had them, but they're across the state, not anywhere where they're going to go to help yeah. me hunting. So I so, just haven't. This is going to decide whether you continue on the podcast or not. But if you had to choose, would you choose llamas or horses? See, and that puts me, you know, the llama thing is crazy right now. You know, we, Marcus the llama yeah. from Leupold, he seems pretty easy to work with. But obviously a horse I can ride. So yeah. I'm going to go with a horse. James. I, I just know, so I want you to I, give your opinion. I, I, can't, I can't get on board with the llamas, man. I just, I can't. The West wasn't one on llamas. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I respect it. I, I love that guys are getting to the backcountry other other uh, ways, but uh, I'm, I'm a horse guy through and through. So. so I have like this deep, I don't know if it's a fear or a hatred, probably somewhere in the middle, but uh, on our farm we had, so my uncle kind of who runs the farm, his like lifelong girlfriend, essentially wife, has a bunch of llamas and there there's like three different pastures of llamas. And you always had to put hay up in the barns with the freaking llamas. And those things would like attack you and spit at you and like they were evil. Oh yeah. They're not good critters. I mean we've I, our ranch is usually about between four and five hundred sheep and there's always been four or five guard llamas. And they'll As they'll say, tear a coyote up. I mean they'll just stomp them to death. Really? Oh yeah. And they look when you don't do anything with them, like anyone in Bozeman that owns a llama, it's things going to be groomed and manicured. Well, when they just live in the mountains with yeah, their they're sheep, nasty. they're gnarly, yeah. dreadlocked, big, ugly yeah, critters. That's, what, that's, that my, that's my nightmare. Like that's when I think of llamas, I think of like the nasty, dreadlocked, evil ones. Well, yeah. I go with the opinion of my horses too. And when I guided in the bob, we'd come up to a, a train of, you know, llamas and the horses and mules just we'd have train wreck after train wreck <laughs> so i'm like if they don't like them there's definitely something wrong but like, they shouldn't be back here but they, i'm not gonna say they shouldn't be in the back country for sure but that's yeah. that's my choice is the horses so it's, so go ahead it's kind of neat though that you can tie them up next to a piece of sage and they'll just chew on that you don't have to water them there's definitely pros and like i don't know the, i mean the cons are one of your friends might see you, but other than that, because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, like I've done a podcast with Bo Beatty and like mm. he's hardcore, uh, llama guy, he raises them, rents them out, all that good stuff. But he also like, he grew up as an outfitter who had horses and then went to llamas, which is interesting because like, I've never, most people I feel like that have llamas or use llamas seem to be scared of horses or, you know, like it's less, less dangerous, I guess, you know, like yeah. most people think of a horse rack and you're like, ah, that's really bad. Where like, you know, James is probably like, ah, oh, that's a Tuesday, right? <laughs> the, the best advice I ever got from an outfitter was like, if you're in the middle of a train wreck, he's like, step off your horse, step back, light a cigarette, watch the show, go clean it up after the fact, because there's not much you can do while they're yeah. going rowdy. So 
So how did you get into horses? Uh, I grew up with them, but honestly, like we hunted a little bit. My dad was more of what I call like a ratchet strap packer. So like, it's like, put everything on there, maybe tie, I'll throw a tie in that loop. So <laughs> throw your pack on there and then let's cinch it down with a ratchet strap, like, and just make it work, you know? Um, so when I moved here, when I was 18, I was like, I want to learn how to outfit and build log homes. And I, that's what I did for the first few years when I moved to Montana. So just worked with a bunch of outfitters and really learned to, to be, you know, efficient at that. So, and the guys I worked with were very particular about looking good on the trail too. Cause in the Bob, especially we'd run into three other outfitters coming in or out, um, of the sun river up there. So it was really, you know, a big deal to look like you had everything under control as well, even though you're picking (laughs) up, you know, 15 minutes down the road. We could dive into this. Cause like, uh, I grew up around horses, but we didn't have pack horses at all. It was just, we had like show horses and fancy ponies. And, uh, then it was probably after, probably even after college, um, two of my really good friends, they're both their dads are hardcore cowboys, hardcore, you know, they've been doing it their entire life. And, uh, so I started kind of hunting with them rifle season and just kind of riding in with them and, and learning the ropes that way. And they're both their dads are very much the same way. Like if you put a top pack on, even if you put a Manny on that looks like garbage, it's getting thrown. Absolutely. Like, it's yeah. getting tossed. <laughs> Do that shit over again. Yeah. And it was like, what the hell? Like, we're just, we just got to get there. Like there's a, to me, not coming from that world. It's like, we just have to get from point A to point B, but to like the old school guys. And I respect that now a lot, even though I don't really practice it as much, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I respect the fact that you're like, Oh, that looks good. Like yeah. if I ride by another string, and their stuff's tight. It's like, yeah, oh, it looks good. I like it. Yeah. I, we, we ran into a couple guys coming out and I got a little bit arrogant. Like I was like, look back. I'm like, dude, our camp looks good on the horses. We're looking good. Like I'm not like kind of embarrassed to see what ropes are hanging off and stuff, but I will put this disclaimer out. I do not claim to be a cowboy whatsoever. Like yeah. definitely mountain man packer, but there's, there's definitely a difference, you know, what's the difference to you? To me, well, I have a, a buddy who is, I always say, is the last true cowboy. You know, he's a he's a cattleman. He's a horseman. He's really into the training side. I train my horses too, but it's more of the backcountry style, you know, where mm-hmm. those guys are really in tune to every step their horse is taking while they're riding it, where I'm like, hey, pack's good to go. Saddle's tight. Let's ride. We're, yeah. we're safe and comfortable. Where those guys are just another world, you know, yeah, yeah. Buck Brandeman style, if you've yeah, ever yeah. heard of that. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where, yeah, it's... And it, like you said, another level. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think, uh, do you think it's intimidating for guys to get into horses? Like I do. I, and that's why I think like guys, like you said, Zach, you haven't really been around them. Like, absolutely. I, I, you know, guiding too. We'd, I guided elk down in Taylor's Fort quite a bit and guys are just, they're very timid around them and they can sense that, believe it or not, those horses, they know oh, if you're, sure. you're scared or, or not, you know, and if you just get in there and act like you know what you're doing sometimes they're a little bit less you know aggressive some of those horses but yeah i completely understand why guys are scared to get into it and when you do have a horse wreck i've never seen llama wrecks but when you get into a horse wreck, it, it can be a big deal you know I've, yeah. I've had a horse ty was with me i had a horse cut his leg really bad and um you know just stuff happens they're bigger animals i mean they're pushing eight to twelve hundred pounds depending where a llama is what four hundred pounds maybe so yeah i don't imagine llama wrecks are real crazy yeah i mean i could sit here and list out a hundred reasons why i enjoy hunting off of horses and why i think they're maybe better than other animals but at the same time we uh boned out my wife's bull two years ago and ty was there we packed it out and put the whole bull on one horse you know so we're pushing probably 250 pounds 
we didn't have to go super far. This might be pushing a little bit, but a llama, I think they're pushing about 60 pounds weight yeah. they can pack to. So. No, I've always said that too. It's like, I may have to fight my one mule the whole time, but it's one brain mm. versus three. That's kind of like always been my argument. And I think there is like some nostalgia to it. I think oh, the guys who really do are like horse people, like a part of it is the nostalgia. It's not necessarily, if you just like run the specs, I think llamas sometimes make more sense. But if you like add in this nostalgic factor, of like, uh, I'm riding in. Absolutely. Mm, There's like yeah. a cool factor, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Jeremiah Johnson, like I'm, I am envious of like James's capabilities with packing. Cause I forever was just a one horse show. If I needed more gear, I'd just lead her in and we'd get everything we needed to do and we'd get out. But I, I was always envious of the guys like James that could just like string in five, six horses, have everything you need, yeah. have everything you need and pack two bulls out in one trip. Um, so I was playing, still am, and will continue to play on that amateur level, <laughs> but always like envy, like, capabilities of people like James that can actually do it and still do it. And I mean, at 30 years old, like that's just, it doesn't happen, you yeah. know? So I like thinking, I feel like Jeremiah Johnson going to the back country on my horse, you know, but like when you're able to do it with someone like James, you're playing, a, you're playing in a different league. Yeah. Dude, one of the things that just popped in my head, like we were going to talk about this last time on the podcast, but talking about like still how to get away from people hmm. because it's a good way to do it. Well, yes and no, but there's like still like, things you can do outside of just horses because horses have a limitation. Like you, you get to where horse camps are and like you guys tend to do a lot more, like I say backcountry, but like off trail type stuff. So like, I guess talk about that a little bit. Like I would say, yeah. So a lot of people, when they think of like horse hunter, like, Oh, those guys just ride their horses, you know, they get back in there and then they keep riding their horses. Yeah. And the, the way I do it and the style I like is we go in, you know, nine to 12 miles deep put in a good camp, uh, put in a big fence, you know, what would you say? Acre and a half fence, yeah. two acre fence. Uh, yeah. Yeah. With, with electric. Cause then we're not having to move it all the time, yeah. maybe every three days. Um, and then I honestly, I don't touch my horse till it's time to go pack a bowl out or yeah. pack camp out typically. Um, so that's the way I like to hunt. You know, I get a lot of guys who are like, Oh, you horse night, you're going to just stay on your horse the whole time. And if I can get lucky enough, sure, that'd be great. But I've never been in bow range, you know, with a bunch of bulls <laughs> screaming on my horse. So, um, so getting away from people is the big aspect there. Um, you know, we do a lot of off trail stuff, you know, I've never camped in a designated camp spot, you know, um, there's always a few spots you just roll into a meadow. You're like, this is gorgeous. And then you're like, oh, there's an old fire ring there. There's an old, you know, wall tent frame. Uh, but that's the inherent downside, dude. Like you, like to have food. And to have water, especially rifle season, yeah, you have to be somewhere where inherently probably someone's camped before. Absolutely. Yeah. So, like, yep. do you guys work? I mean, obviously, if you're even if you're off trail, you got to be where water is, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, water is definitely key, and that's usually I'll bring water into the fence for them too, so you're not having to. You know, it's that old saying, you can lead a horse to water, and there's so many. I'll have two days go by, and I bring them down to the creek, and they're like, you know, I'm not going to yeah. drink, so. It's kind of nice to have that too, but yeah, absolutely. The the feed is a big factor. I've had a camp with a buddy four years ago where I shot that wolf, uh, that, uh, we packed in bales of hay two weekends prior. Uh-huh. We had seven horses went in, just dumped a bunch of hay out for them. Cause we knew that they wouldn't have any feed. So yeah. it definitely, it's a lot of work for sure. Um, 
I think for me, I've, I've done it enough. It doesn't feel like it's so much work where maybe a guy that's getting into it is like, man, you got to think of all these X, Y, and Z. So, so I got a like, few technical questions that it's probably going to touch like 10% of people, but fence versus high line versus hard tide. What's your preferred method? So my preferred method is a fence. We and should then, back up. So we're talking about how to, we're talking about how we tie horses. How we keep them how we from keep running them away, going back to camp or going back to the trailer. And there is no solid answer. There's no solid answer. <laughs> no solid answer. You know, I've seen high lines with, you know, three or four horses. One freaks out and ends up snapping, you know, four horses together, pulling on a rope, no matter yeah. how big it is. I've seen that become a disaster. Um, you know, the forest service likes to see high lines cause you're not hard tied to a tree and then they're pawing the bottom of the tree and killing the tree. Yep. Um, my style is to always, I have four horses that I go on with and I'll always put two out to feed and then two are hard tied or hard or tied on a high line. And then I at least have an escape route. So if the two get yeah. out, which I have had happen before, um, they'll get out, but typically in a herd of anything, but with horses, they kind of pick buddies and they're, they're stuck together. So I'll actually split those up. So if one gets uh, out of the fence, the other one's tied up. That's kind of his buddy. So yeah. he's not going to go too far. They'll be winning back and forth. You're going to hear them, you know? Um, so that's kind of my method to keep my horses in camp uh, is just to make a big fence and kind of split them up. And then, so when I get back from hunting, you know, eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night, I'll just switch them. And that one that was out in the pasture gets to So sleep. do you have to spend much time just feeding? Cause you pretty much have with that setup, you pretty much have feed going. No, I, I mean, Ty, you can talk to this. I think you were a little bit amazed at like how big of a fence we put yeah. up and then yeah. you're like, well, we got to move this every day. And what do we do three days? And we just moved it down yeah. just a little bit. Yeah. We, I, this, this was a first year. I'd find two acres. That's going to be the particular spot we were in was, a, yeah. was there's big kind of yeah. fairways, you know, in there, but every yeah. spot's different. You pick up. Yeah. A, yeah. We picked a big bottom that was just had, you know, four foot tall grass and just leave them in there. And they really don't want to go anywhere else. Cause there is no other feed. Yeah. That's where they would go anyway. But, uh, yeah, I was shocked cause I'd always highlined or hard tied. And then going in with that many horses, um, James had an electric fence and this is the first time I'd ever done it that way. And, uh, it was so nice. Cause usually it's like, oh, you got to get up super early, put some hobbles on, let them go. And then if one of them wanders off, you got to go find it and you might hear a bull bugling and you want to get after that or whatever, you know? So that was always kind of a pain in the butt, but the way we did it this year, it was great. What do you pack in for feed? Uh, nothing in really? uh, archery season. Now, if it's late winter, like rifle season, I'll usually go in a spot. I know there's feed in, um, you know, when we are talking that three, four foot tall grass, that's still, they can paw down through some pretty decent oh, yeah. amount of snow, but I will bring some cubes for them every now and then. Um, I've had some of the biggest disasters off of, uh, compressed alfalfa pellets too, cause there's molasses in there. So they kind of get that sugar high and rush oh, and then, really? yeah. Uh, so I've had some big debacles with that too, but, Strung out all molasses. <laughs> so, but yeah, you know, one thing I really want to touch on is, is what I enjoy about all of the horse hunting too, is really getting things efficient. So I'd almost think like a ultralight backpacker, you know, you're always looking at carbon yeah. stuff. You're always looking at how can I piece this to the smallest amount of gear and the lightest amount of gear. Yeah. And that's the way I horse hunt too. Like everything that I, I do when I pack is like thought out like okay this backpack's going here cots going here yeah and it's all ultralight stuff too like we're talking like 
really like cots, you know, wall tent stuff. Still pretty... have cots. Though. Exactly. You did. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. Never, we never did this yeah, year. We, not it's, this it's, year. Like that's yep. a last. I don't know. I just give it a But so just trying to get things, you know, like this year we talked about seek outside. I ended up buying a seek outside teepee yeah. just because that's way lighter than a, oh, any wall sure. tent. Um, so I enjoy that side of it too. So it's not like we're bringing in some 20 foot wall tent and, you know, all these amenities. It is pretty cush though. And, yeah. I mean, even my camp this year, being solo with Ryder and a Packer, I had my seek outside, but like my, my top pack was like empty, but I would, I knew that I'm like, okay, but if I come out, I'm, yep. I don't want to have to walk out. So, <laughs> so I, I pretty much, but I took in pellets. Um, and I was planning on going a long time and I like, see, I'll take Alfie pellets and use them in the morning so I can just go hunt. Um, and I'll have to worry about it. So I'll feed in the morning. And then I'll, well, I'll feed them pellets in the morning and then I'll, I'll spend an hour at night letting them feed, uh, depending on how I go. But if I come back midday, so I do, so this year, the horse that I had is deathly afraid of white tape. So I didn't even have to have electric. Oh, nice. Um, just thinks it's hot all the time. And the mule won't leave the horse. So I just <laughs> put the horse in the pen and then the mule on the outside. So I don't have to move the pen very much because he's not going anywhere. So he just chews around. The yeah. outside of it, and so like midday, I would do that, but I won't do it if I'm leaving because, like you said, you gotta have an exit strategy. Yep. So I always I would highline my horse. A few times I just leave the mule loose because he's not going anywhere. Uh, and actually, it it can be good. So I've heard I've never had the experience, but like if you have one loose, while if there's like a risk of wolves or something coming in, um, and one hard tied. You know, I don't know if it like. You said if you're both hard or high lined, then that can be a bad situation because then you have nothing left. So, absolutely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's you know, I think I think thinking about it for people doing all this, you know, the fence, the work, and all that. I yeah. mean, that definitely is you know overwhelming, if you will. But in the in the end, I like that. I I'll go back, you know, to a, a six or eight day hunt. And I can just hunt a whole lot harder being that far back, not having to pack that gear mm-hmm. and having those little amenities, even a wood stove going. And then, man, I can go for when I were leaving, I'm like almost crying. I'm like, I don't want to leave. You know, yeah, it's like you can stay forever. Yeah. And the last part about the pasture is like, especially last year with how much snow we got. And it'll be the same this year is the pastures that we put out for those horses were better looking than my house. So my horses are like, Hey, we don't want to leave either. Cause there's yeah. actually grass here. <laughs> yeah, so. Exactly. No, that's a good point though. Like doing the lightweight stuff. Um, I think when people think of horses, they think everyone packs these wall tents and old yeah. school wood stoves. Is How that much, what you think of? Oh, for sure. Well, and I mean, I've seen them both, you know, and I've, I, it makes sense. Like you don't want to carry, it's not like you're carrying that stove that weighs a hundred pounds or whatever it I've is. I've done but, that though. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I'm sure there's definitely people. I found the, some in the back because we were like, I'm not packing that out. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that's interesting to me though, is like, even like for my stuff, like just my hunting stuff, it's such a process and I'm going through the same thing that you're talking about, like trying to get it together. And I think one thing for me is like, how long does it take you to prepare before you go out? Like, are you laying everything flat so you make sure you have your stuff, stuff for the horses, stuff for the pasture, everything? Absolutely. Yeah, I got a pretty to a pretty good science now having just two pack horses, and then I usually have two riding horses. Um, but definitely, and I use a packer scale. So believe it or not, and some people look at me kind of cross-eyed, but if you're not within two pounds on each side of those packs, you're going to have issues the whole time riding in. So everything is within two pounds. Um, 
I kind of, there's a rock theory, you know, you can grab, oh, grab a rock, put it in there. I, I, you got to move something around. So no, if, just add a beer over just here. Just add a beer over there. <laughs> um, but truthfully, like two pounds makes a big difference because those horses, you know, think about you wearing your backpack, you're kind of rocking back and forth. Same with that saddle is really rocking back and forth. So over time, it's, you know, it gets a little bit loose no matter how tight you get it. And that pack just starts to move a little bit. So absolutely, I'm, you know, weighing backpacks and weighing the cots. That kind of stuff is easy though. Cause I'm like, all right, cot weighs four pounds, backpacks 30. So when we're bringing like this year, we brought a lot of camera gear. That was a little bit tricky, but it's also kind of fun. You know, I think we probably spent 45 minutes at, tr- at the trailhead getting gear. Did you top pack like, it or side pack your camera gear? Uh, so we side packed everything and then we just top packed the wall tent. So, oh, yep. Okay. Did you take the seek outside? Did you have a nicer one? No, I had, oh, a, had a, a Spike 3 uh, Montana canvas. Okay. Yeah, yeah. To say, yeah, when you have that wall tent, that's like an entire top pack, but like with the seek outside, you're like, it's mm-hmm. like four pounds. Yeah. Let's <laughs> <laughs> throw that in somewhere. But yeah, I'm the same way. So like I, all both my painters, before I do it before I get to the trailhead because I just don't like, I don't know. I hate sitting at the trailhead uh-huh. for three hours. Like, oh. Especially when guys are like, rolling up. Yeah. They're going hunting. You're like. Yeah. <laughs> so I have everything. My painters will weigh the exact same. And I try to keep it to the same stuff every time. And so like oh, the bag of food here, bag of food here. And then uh, this and this. And so it's like very close to the same. Um, so then as the trip progresses, because I like to move camps a lot instead of just riding in. And so then I know each day I'm pretty close to the same. So I'll feed out of this bag one day, feed out of this bag one day. but And I packer scales too. But. Uh, just keeping it very like this goes here and even my top pack, like this year I ran one of those goofy, like the amateur hour, uh, trail max saddle painters. No, the top pack. One. Oh, okay. God, they're slick. I know it's, uh, he's going to make fun. Oh, <laughs> God, they're so handy. I own it. I own it. <laughs> I don't care. I know. I'm just there to get an elk out, yep. but like that, take that for example, like, uh, this sleeping bag goes here, the tent goes here and like you're. You got to not only have it equally weighted, but equally distributed. So like the, you don't have a bunch of bulk on one side. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's the same thing. It's going to the same places every time. But it's no different than like a guy that would be a backcountry hunter with his backpack. Like he's going to have, you know, my sleeping bag goes in first and then yeah. this and this and this. Oh, I'm sure it's second nature. It's just crazy because it's just more logistics to worry about. A lot more. Yeah. And you know, with, with you going solo on your horse, that's super easy to do. And like, I, I grab and go and I'm like, man, this is all my gear. I know exactly. But when we're throwing in like Nick and Ty and maybe another guy, you know, then you're just like, you know, can I bring this? Can I bring that? Yeah, and it's yeah. like, no, that can't come, but that can, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's definitely a, a little bit of math there too, but yeah. I kind of, I enjoy that side too. Like yeah. I'm not going to sit and be like, Oh, everything is like hunky dory, but it's, it's so fun to me to, to get all that stuff packed up, watch the horses do it, what they enjoy doing. And, um, in the end, you know, there's, you're in the back country, you know, like my great grandpa used to do yeah. on a horseback. So I would say there's like, there's times where you absolutely hate it. And there's times where you're riding down the trail. You're like, this is it. Yeah. Like, this is what people dream about. Mm-hmm. Like just packing. Uh, it seems like when I go through the Aspens or something, you're just like, yeah, this is, uh, oh, yeah. this is what elk hunting should be. Yeah. And when you're doing it by yourself, it is actually kind of nice to like have something else there maybe to talk to, but sleep at night. Yeah. I used to highline Avi, man, 10 yards from where my tent was. Cause I always camp in super high grizzly number area. Yeah. And it's nice to be able to hear her blow or something. If something's getting a little frisky that I wouldn't hear. You mean dig all night? 
or paw um, no <laughs> i've had bulls come in and scream 100 yards away and oh, she'll really? like she'll like just you know how they do that real nasally blow out of her yeah. nose and, I, and I'm sitting in my tent, be like, "Gosh, shut up! I want to shoot him in the morning," you know. <laughs> but uh, but what's, it, it what's is the craziest nice. thing that's happened to you, horse horses in the backcountry? Well, just the funniest thing I think maybe just this year was we were up on a ridge. We had all the horses down at camp. We we're out hunting for the day, and uh, we there was a really weird noise coming from this basin below us, and honest to goodness, and it could have been. I've heard bears make some goofy noises. But something, it was a bear or a moose. And I've been in the woods a long time and never heard that sound <laughs> yeah. before. So, and we're, we're sitting up there on this ridge, be like, man, I don't, I don't know what that is. We thought maybe it was like a bear down there, mo- like death. Mo- and I've moose hunted, been around a lot of moose, and I, it, I'm still not a hundred percent convinced that that was a moose. <laughs> but there was something making a weird noise. Well, we went up, chased some bulls, walked around the base, came around the back of the basin, and we ended up bumping a bull moose that was in. He was probably a nautical mile from where we heard this on the other side of our camp. Oh, that's cool. Got some pictures of him wrapping the day up, make sure horse was good, getting the wall tent. Freaking one o'clock in the morning, James wakes me up. Tyler's a fucking bear outside chasing the horses. And the horses are starting to freak out. And I mean, they'll blow through a single wire, single strand yeah. electric fence and get out of town, you know. Uh, well, I think it was is a possibility it could have been a cow moose and that other bull moose were starting to come in and rut. And oh. and then they seen the horses and, and you know, might, they thought it was a moose party or something. So we're out there in our underwear. And I'm pretty sure it was snowing headlamps and underwear one o'clock in the morning. Bulls are screaming and we're trying to get this all tamed down. And, and that was, that was just funny. Cause James was just pissed. I was sound out too i was like that'll ah, be they'll be all right they'll be in there in the morning and uh that but the, just this year that was probably the funniest thing with the horses i don't know another time i i guess i hard I, I was wolf hunting right after rifle season and i hard tied my horse to a tree and uh some other guys decided to untie her and goof around with her and i come back from my morning walk and she's gone they just yeah i know i bumped into the guys coming they were coming down i was going up and uh I come back down to my trail, my horse a couple hours later, and my horse is gone. I was like, what in the frick is going on? End up getting out to a main trail, seeing some other guys like, you guys see a big draft horse running around over here? Like, yeah, actually, we did. And she, we tied her up 50 yards down the trail. So I tied her up. And, I mean, that's the weirdest thing. I know I, like, quadruple half-hitched yeah. her. She wasn't going anywhere. Ride out and spend the night wake up in the morning and find those guys that I bumped into. I was like, hey, do you guys see my horse? Yeah, we were petting her and this cat and the other thing. And she turned and pushed one of us over. And my hand was on the uh, the the quick tie and she came undone and we just left. And I was like, what? So that That's was a funny. thing? Apparently. We just, we just left. I was pretty bummed out about that. It could have been a bad hoping. situation. Imagine oh, you're like yeah. 30 miles yeah. in. Yeah, I was a long ways. <laughs> But not, I could have walked out, but it was like last light kind of deal, you know. Yeah. And, and we, I ended up trotting out with some other guys that I ran up, ran into that I've known for a long time. But uh, yeah, this year it was just funny because we did, we could never, I don't know if that was a bear or what, because we'd seen a sow grizzly bear with two cubs earlier that day, moose, couple bulls, there's everything back in this basin. Yeah. And uh, having horses held in by, you know, an eighth inch <laughs> white electric fence. Yeah, that- that freaks me out, leaving them in the hot fence. Yeah. I came back one day, and uh, I think my – I say my mule because this is something he would do, but I think they – because, like, 
one side of the fence, it's like the pole was just pushed straight over. And I think he was just feeding and stepped on the edge of the pole and basically just slapped it down. Mm-hmm. And so they were both just wandering around camp. And I'm like, man, makes me nervous. It's a long ways to walk. <laughs> What's the longest ride you've ever had, James? Uh, you know, the longest ride I've ever done in a day is 27 miles. Ooh. Yeah. And that was like, we got up first light and we rode for a long time. That was in the Bob. And, uh, uh. I was, I was pretty, I was done. By the end. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and that's a great thing. You know, we could do a, a 13 to 15 mile bear hunt, you know, behind a logging gate or whatever. Um, and that's pretty typical, I'd say, yeah. you know, ride in six, seven miles and ride back out the same day. But yeah, we were doing that after work last year. We just grab both our riders and throw them in a trailer, run down the Canyon or wherever, you know, two cool. o'clock trot in a couple pretty miles, fun, yeah. see some bulls, find some sheds, see some grizzly bears, shoot a black bear, yeah. be home, you know, it's good nine, 10 o'clock. So you want to tell the story of your, your elk this year, <clears throat> your hunt this year? Yeah. I just want to kick you in the junk one more time. No, it's all good because <laughs> I'm still like, I, I'm, I mean, it, it is Team cool Wednesday. We should probably yeah. tell, tell some elk stories. Well, we were um, hunting, there was. hunting a basin that I killed a giant bull in one time. And you put that on Onyx? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, it's, Onyx is all over it now because I've had to look for this bull a thousand times. But uh, we, so James and I had, we have this idea i think last winter about this time we're kind of fed up with some of the things that we're seeing in not me it's not the industry's fault it's just the way things go but um you know hunting's a big passion of ours we work our asses off all year to spend man i try to spend the entire month of september first two weeks of october hunting as a priority business aside hunt as much as i can and then but for a second like i'm gonna interrupt you because like talk about like hunting to you is like an exit, not like a industry. Right. It, it is. For me, it's it's something I look forward to. I'm not involved in it. I'm a consumer of. Yeah, yeah. Um, I enjoy and I want to continue to enjoy it. And I, I, I've got a, a background of motocross that I kind of lost a passion for when I got so into the industry and was paid and everything else that I it wasn't just fun to do, yeah, yeah. you know, um, and, and not, I haven't had that opportunity in hunting and don't want it. I've just, I think James and I are so similar because we create a life to allow us to do the hunts we want to do where we want to do them when we want to do them. And, uh, so we were, we hired a, a camera guy that, uh, he's a good, really good dude. He's a, his name is Nick Costas. He does a lot of the, uh, waterfowl stuff for, um, dive bomb and i make fun of them because i don't understand waterfowl hunting that much <laughs> go shoot glorified seagulls <laughs> but uh but he it, it's it was super fun and what a talented person can do with a camera is is um it's amazing because i i can't do it but it's really cool to see so we're both solo hunters we're going to kind of collaborate on this and like hey let's let's just show people like how we do things and like our lifestyle and not as a not as like a one up or anything like that, but it's like, that's, I would want to see that. And I don't see that in hunting anymore. We don't, we don't get to watch like, I mean, what my dad used to do, you know, that stuff that motivated us as kids, it just doesn't really exist anymore. And some we still carry out and look forward to and plan on every year. So it's, I think it's pretty important. And if it didn't go anywhere except YouTube that I could show my two little girls 
someday, that's fine by me. But we're like, let's be willing to pay somebody yeah. and do this. So I had had some really good luck in a, in a basin um, that I'd kind of keep track on all summer long, find some bulls in. And I'd been very fortunate to work hardest hunt of my life probably and kill a really good bull in a couple of years ago. And we kept track of these elk in the summertime, did a whole bunch of scouting. We dropped back in there after an Alaska trip this year. And uh, Nick and I had found some a bull that I had seen a week prior from the air. And I'd, I knew he was in this basin. So I, we found him. And we only had about 45 minutes until legal shooting light was over. And it was going to be a stretch to get to this thing. And he was at the top, highest point of this mountain. We end up getting up there. He had 10, 12 cows get up to him. And I love getting into herd bulls when there's a bunch of chaos. I think herd bull is still the easiest bull on the mountain to kill if you can do it right. I drew the short straw in this story, by the way. We were like, you want to go up or down? And I chose down. (laughs) He he, He did choose down. And I was like, Nick, we're going up here. There's bugles. So we get up and it was a grind and hats off to Nick because there's up aside from like James, there's not a lot of people that can keep up with me in the back country, especially when there's a bull bugling <laughs> and he's stuck right there and had a smile on his face the whole time. But, and this was a wicked steep, it was a steep enough hill that the sage on it. Um, if a cow was looking over the hill, I could just like hunch a little bit and I'd be out of sight. I mean, it was so steep. Um, but we get up to her, get up to this herd. And I was, I told Nick, I was like, I want to get like 60 yards from the closest cow before I do any kind of aggression be you know really get um fighty with my bugles that kind of thing end up getting real close and they're right on the cusp of this super steep hill and i can see one cow i ranged her at 55 yards i was like watch this i'm gonna rip the gnarliest nastiest bugle and he's gonna run right down here and put himself between me and her i'll bet you a thousand dollars so i i do it bugle just some big sloppy bugle, draw my bow, stand up. And I knew there was a small little pine tree that I had um, ranged at 41 yards. And he came down and just like peeked over this hill, just big rack parallel with that cow, just kind of peeked, didn't see anything, but there's a bunch of bulls picking on him on the top side. So I'm at full draw. I got a full frontal shot, but I can only see like from his neck up, no shot. And, uh, he peeks over and turns back around. So I let down, I let, I let a bull bugle at him for another 30 seconds or so. And I've probably only got five or 10 minutes, maybe less than 10 minutes, five minutes legal shooting light left. And, uh, I wait till I can see his rack and he's close. I was like, I'm going to let him circle back around. I wait for it to see his rack and then I'm going to bugle at him again. And I, this time I grabbed a big rock and I threw it down the mountain, just make it sound like something was running around. And I bugled at him when I saw his rack. He came down 41 yards, slightly quartering to, but for the most part broadside, and uh, went full draw. He kept walking, kept walking, kept walking, and I remember that hill was so steep that at full draw, I was full draw. My view was on a piece of sage just right here in front of me, and I kept it full draw, reached down, grabbed my bugle, and it was one of those uh, Barry Thunder bugles, so it had the diaphragm in it. And I had a diaphragm in my mouth. So I just bugle on it one more time to see if I could get him a couple yards closer. Dropped it. He stopped. I think, or I might have stopped him. Anyhow, he stopped 40 yards. Perfect 
perfect heart shot. He immediately took off and ran into this. There's a line of trees that just kind of came down this avalanche chute that we had walked up. And he physically ran into this other bull, turned 180 and ran back up. And I just started ripping on bugles, trying to keep everybody in the same spot. Cause it was, I mean, it was a war zone of bulls. There's probably four or five bulls picking on him. And he had 10 or 12 cows that must've been in, in heat. And, uh, I got him to stop and I could see him doing the whole like head, bo- head wobbling thing. It start. it's at this point. It's it, doing the dance. Yep. Legal <clears throat> shooting light had to have been over right in the next two minutes. I can see him trying to bugle and he's like making these crazy ass weird noises. Um, but there's bulls. There was a bull coming in from this, pulling three cows, a bull to come over in over here, pull another two cows. There's a little raghorn up in the top, just started breeding this other cow. So it, he's like trying to fight all these things off. And he thinks he just got poked or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, it's chaos. and I was like, Nick, we're just going to like, let's just follow him. And I knocked another arrow, just kind of, we- they started to move up in this, mountain plateaus at the very tip top for about a hundred yards and then just dives off into this nasty hell hole i was like let's just keep eyes on him hopefully he'll he'll drop maybe he won't but um if he does at least we'll know um but i mean he there had been so much adrenaline pumping in his veins beforehand because he's been he was been bugling for an hour before we got there every 20 seconds fighting these other bulls off so um, I get up there and I think I ranged him for the last time that my range finder could, um, and this is probably after legal shooting light, but I was going to do whatever I could to get another arrow. I think I lobbed an arrow at about 110 yeah. that it missed, but, um, let him go inside the timber and, uh, all the, there was bulls just tearing that harem of cows apart. Three, three of them would go over here. Two of them go over here. Raghorns breeding another cow up here. It's just the craziest thing to walk through this timber, just be in this rut fest like that. Probably one of the coolest hunting experiences. And Nick filmed the whole thing, got the kill shot. I mean, the audio on it is incredible. Um, and it's so cool to capture things like that. Cause I've tried to film my own hunts and I've filmed a lot of really cool stuff in the last five or six years, but you always sacrifice the opportunity yeah. to shoot for a cool opportunity to shot. And I'm a shooter hands yeah. down. <laughs> so I was, I was like, once they got into the thick timber, I told Nick, I was like, let's just leave him. And I've never had to leave a bull. So I was really apprehensive about that. I was like, let's just leave him. We'll go back down to camp. We'll get a hold of James and we'll say, we'll come pack him out. He's dead hundred yards in there. So we turn around and I'm like, well, let's just start trying to see if we can find some blood in our headlamps and, Nick's a bird hunter. He's never followed a blood trail in his life. He looks at, oh, there's some. And there, I mean, puddles, streams. It looks like someone's walking around with a pint glass just dumping, dumping it. it. To this day, still probably the best blood trail I've ever had on any animal. And uh, so we go down. Pat, we've, we'll have uh, to link it up because you say, oh, yeah, there was blood. No, like I just showed Zach, there was like a gallon of blood. I, I haven't even seen a rifle shot like that. <laughs> if, if you showed him the picture, I thought that's after a night of all snow and rain. And it's, oh, so wow. it snowed and rained that night too. Yeah. So. so I was starting to get nervous, but I was like, man, we watched the film and I mean, right behind the shoulder, perfect shot. I mean, I shot my big bull two years ago in that same spot, same exact situation. And he went 40 yards. Yeah. So, and he didn't even bleed at all. So I was like, this guy's deader than crap. Well, we actually got lost, bumped a bear or something we got lost on the way back. We didn't get back to camp till one o'clock in the morning. 
I'm sitting in camp. I figured either there's two of them, so I'm hoping they didn't get eaten by a bear. But I'm like chilling out. And I'm like, well, eight o'clock rolls by. Oh, wow. nine thirty rolls by. Ten o'clock rolls by. I'm like, no, Ty and Nick. Twelve o'clock rolls by. I think you guys made it in like twelve fifteen or something. And maybe I see these headlamps and I hear Nick go, "Oh shoot, there's something." Oh, that's a horse. And he walked like <laughs> right into the horse pasture and my horse, Richie's like looking at him like, what the heck are you? <laughs> yeah. So we had a good time getting back. Cause it was t- and actually hats off to Onyx. I, I mean, I didn't really start using Onyx till three years ago, really hot and heavy, but I had pinned my camp spot from the year previous where I bivied in there. So I was like, well, if we can, when we did, we got super turned around in this nasty bottom. And I was like, well, if we can get to my old bivy spot, I know where our wall tent's at from there. So we ended up running into the horses on the way, but, um, you know, stay up till two o'clock in the morning telling stories oh, and yeah. everything else. You know how it goes. It's and, a done deal. Yeah. You know, and we'd actually, I'll never forget. We packed in toaster strudels, you know, them like awesome yeah. pop tarts and you cook those things on a wood stove, dude. That's a sell for horses right there in itself. Oh, I know. It was, it was best. We stayed up and smashed a box or two of toaster strudels and <laughs> told the story over and over. And, and I, I was like, I, I think I was, probably a little stressed out because i told james like dude i've never had to leave a bull overnight i'm ah, just i don't feel good knowing that i got a arrow in a bull and it's not with yeah. me right now oh it's the worst and uh showing blood shots oh it's dead it's dead. and he's guided a lot you know that kind of thing but then he also that same night told me a story of during rifle season he had gutted one of his clients bulls and it had a killed a bull that was bugling that had one lung and a broad head and a deflated lung that was tumorized Wow. There, there was tumored. Tumored in the From last the same year, uh, I guess, year before, probably? Or? Probably a year before, I'd say, yeah. Because uh, they are incredibly tough. And, I mean, I've put some, you know, boiler maker shots on some bulls that have run 400 yards. And I'm like, there's no way, you know. Uh, but, I mean, the amount of blood that we found and everything, I was like, all right, I, I'm, I'm still 99% sure. I mean, I did everything right. That was a perfect shot. 40 yards is money. And, uh, but then... I looked out there. We went and checked on the horses, and it was starting to dump snow. So then I really got stressed. I was like, well, I hope he's dead 100 yards inside that tree line because that's going to be the only way we're going to find him. Well, it had done that where it starts raining, so all blood is going to be washed away, and then started snowing. Well, we pack up camp first thing in the morning, and we're going to leave. We're going to grab this bull and then ride out the couple miles and leave. And it's at the the tip top of this mountain he had bled so much that the snow couldn't even stick to it like we could walk and find blood because it would melt as it hit this blood like 450 yards it was just like oh there's blood there's blood you're not like getting down on your hands and knees yeah and crazy so um we we followed it down into this nasty nasty hell hole and looked and looked and looked and it was raining and sleeting the whole time could still find good blood. And then on the north-facing side of this mountain, there is two giant puddles. And I don't know if maybe the arrow had worked its way all the way through, but it looked like he just stood in one spot and just leaked. And then nothing. So we looked for the rest of that day. For a solid oh, six, six hours. hours. And then it started blizzarding. And we were on a spot like you shouldn't have horses in a, in a blizzard because you got to ride through some cliffs. And, and I was like, you know what? It ain't worth it. We're going to come back in here the next couple days. Me and James are going to ride back in and get some time off work and whatever. So we packed out, and I was starting to get real 
real heavy hearted, you know, and I'm punching my tag because for me, like, yes, I'm a meat hunter. I eat the meat, but I'm an experienced hunter. You know, yeah. I, I got everything that my heart desired right then and there. Cause I've had some wicked cool hunts and that I can't wait to like, if we can get it, the footage the way we want it to justify it. Cause it was so cool how all those bulls were fighting and everything else That's the best yeah you know so i was like honestly i'm gonna be happy to help everybody else get their bulls this year but i was like my tags punched and i didn't physically punch my tag because like well what if i do go back in there and find him alive miraculously so i was like and it's you know a week later and my tag doesn't match so anyway <laughs> mentally i'm not hunting another elk yeah and i think and i'm not gonna tell anybody else any different because another friend of ours uh had done the same thing he's like what do you what do you think i should do i shot a bull i think he's dead should punch or take him i was like man it's up to you you know everybody should have the wherewithal within themselves to make a right decision um and then trust me there was times like when we got james's bull i was like oh god man if there was a 400 inch bull in there i'd have a real hard time justifying (laughs) not doing that you know so it's it's a battle but um you know, I held out. I was like, no, that bull I want to find. And I still, I mean, what's it? It's uh, March right now. Spring's come around. And that's like first on my docket is get back in there and try to find him. Really? Well, yeah. You think he's dead? I do. He's got it because he went downhill hard. I mean, I onyxed the crap out of this. I'm a pilot. So I, I even hired my buddy who's a helicopter pilot. And I went and flew around with him. And it's such high elevation that we were maxing the helicopter out trying to hover and like cruise these ridges. And then I jumped in a super cub and flew it as slow as I can at 10,000 feet. And that's sketchy and trying to like look for a bull and, you know, so did that James and I, um, man, hats off to James go in and try to find another, but we went, I don't know, it was a couple of days or maybe a week later, it had snowed a little bit more and we cut like three giants heads of grizzly tracks. I was like, this is going to be great. These grizzly tracks are coming right from him. We'll ride right to him. You know, this will be great. No, these, we end up running into a couple different sets of grizzly tracks that were all coming down the mountain because it had started snowing so hard. Um, we went up there and looked two, at three least more times. three more times. We gave up a couple weekends just to go and, and gridded. And, and I mean, it's in one of those spots where you're like, elk don't walk here, but then you always end up finding sign or sheds or dead elk or whatever, you know? And, uh, so it, it got to a point where like, we re- really could not do much more with the amount of snow that was in there as we kept going. So yeah. I was like, you know what, this is going to be a spring deadhead hunt. Well, here's the real quick, turn it back on the horses. What do you think the elevation is from the trailhead to the top of that mountain? Oh, like the f- difference, excuse me, from the oh, trailhead. Oh, I don't know, 2,000, maybe 2,500. I was going to say 2,500, gnarly. Like, I mean, I'll hike, but if I can choose a horse or hike in that. We went back in just for day rides, just trotted in there. And I know, like, we went to hike back in there, search all that area for that bull, then hike back out. I would have been like, yeah, one time's good, you know. So we're able to do three more times just having that ability to get up there. And when he can put, what, you riding Richie? Monty, his his baby of a horse and then and my horse and we can just trot in there and you can cover some ground you know yeah yeah so it, that's it's super good but yeah i i mean a soup i've never it was tough and i still don't know how to process it because i was like i know i'm gonna learn something from this i'm gonna learn something from that and i i it, i don't know that i still have and would, i went out with would you buddies. do anything differently you know i want to blame things 
I don't think that's right, but uh, I think, and I'm a still a believe. I think my last I've killed a bullet every year for a while, and the last three I've either killed them with an Ulmer Edge or a Sever. And the only thing I can think differently is maybe that if if I know I I only got in I didn't at least for the first couple hundred yards he was running there was only one entry wound. If there was maybe a fixed blade in there chopping and while he was running it would have done more damage because i don't think that sever would that might have been the only thing i changed but you know i i mean i was patient i drew on him once and i when it gets into like kill time like that i'm i even now i thinking back on like some of the decisions i'm actually kind of shocked sometimes that i have that much patience because i typically in life and business i don't i'm more (laughs) trigger happy but um yeah, I don't think I would have done anything different. I like that. I mean, when I say frontal shot, it was maybe he was maybe turned 15 degrees towards me is all like I yeah. still had full. I mean, and I took it right in the crease. So it would have been heart and lung, yeah. you know, and he bled a lot. I mean, the the blood is, is what gives away. I think 90% of hunters see would the take hit that on shot. camera. Yeah. Really? Money. And it, I mean, it's at an angle low. Like I was shooting probably 40 degrees uphill did you find the arrow no never found the arrow Never found the arrow so i think it must still be in him but uh, i mean we'd see where he'd stop and he'd just just dripping out of him you know but uh yeah i don't think i would do anything different you know um it's going to be one of those things i really really hope to wrap up in the in the spring and find him. Cause I'd yeah. be, I mean, that would make it an extremely special hunt for me personally. Like I, I take my time in the woods real serious and I, I really enjoy solo hunting and be able to share time. Like with, with James and Nick and the back of you. Like I, I, I maybe 80, 20 solo hunt and 20% of the time is with folks. Yeah. Um, but James and I had been to Alaska for, for 10 or 14 days earlier in the season. So we'd spend a lot of time together and, and it was, it was a good time. You know, I really hope to make it a memory that I like to look back on 10, 15 years from now. And I, and I'll work my butt off to find him when that hill, when that mountain's all burned off, you know, I'm going to spend, I'll camp up there yeah. and just back and forth, you know, but I don't think I'd do anything different. I hate to say it is what it is. I freaking hate that term, but uh, sometimes there's nothing really that you can, there's no more that I could really do, yeah. you know, and it was, he aside, I think he was a nice six by seven. He was a great, great speech. But holy smokes, that bull's gonna haunt my memory. But man, I think I told you this at dinner tonight. Like thirty seconds after I put an arrow in, I was him. wondering why that didn't pop up in the story. I didn't know if that was like something you just didn't want to say. No. So like I said, when all those bulls were starting to pull cows out of that harem, this bull screams at me thirty yards to my left, and it's pretty dark like i looked and i could see the big blonde body but i pull my binos up and look at this thing from 30 yards and uh this thing looked like a mossback bull i mean it <laughs> makes my bull from two years ago look like a dink i mean just matt i that was the first thing second maybe thing i said when we got back to walton like dude i just saw a bull with bases as big around as your jet boil <laughs> <laughs> and uh i mean it was a toad that <sighs> that image of him just looking at me like he didn't give a shit that's awesome. And knowing it, I felt like he knew I couldn't shoot him. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, there's and there's some, and that's just like I wouldn't. I'm not a trophy hunter. I'm like a trophy experienced hunter. Yeah. But uh, you end up finding 
some monarch specimens of any kind of species when you just kind of go that extra mile, go that extra two miles, you know. The experiences are a lot better. Yeah, I mean, anytime you can, anytime you can validate going on a better experience, like you're gonna see uh, critters that most people haven't seen. You know, more in their, you know, less pressure, so they're more in their natural habitat, doing like that style where all those bulls are pushing cows like that. I mean, pretty hard pressed to find that, you know, two miles from the pickup. Up at highlight. Yeah, up at highlight. Uh, <laughs> you, know. you know, if I could say one thing, just like pat Ty on the back and us, like. When he got back to camp and told me that, like it was no question what we're doing the next day because there's bulls screaming all night that night. There's mm. four bulls within 200 yards of camp, and it wasn't like, oh, well, let's hunt in the morning right here because there's bulls. It, it, it's a feat to get up to where his bull was. Yeah. Fortunately, it was on the way back to the truck, to the trailhead. Um, but, yeah, we, we loaded up and headed out. And I was like, there's no question. Like, we got to take well, care of what's going on that's here. That's more kudos to James. Because I was like, dude, you, Nick, go with James, film him. Because you guys can get into bulls, no question, in the morning. And it was during that moon phase, it was real crazy. Because we wouldn't hear a peep all freaking day. And you would have never guessed there was even bulls in this basin until nighttime when you couldn't even sleep. Because they're bugling everywhere. And I told him, I was like, James hadn't had a night like that. And I was like, dude, I've been in here a couple of years and this place is nuts, <laughs> especially awesome. this time of year. And I'm a, I'm a believer in that October because, oh, that was another thing because you didn't know about like archery hunting in October. And I'm like, man, let's go to Alaska the first part of September. I really believe in that first week. I, re- I From October really? 1st to the end of bow season, I'm, that's my favorite time. And really? I kind of miss this year missing calling in 40 freaking ragheads, raghorns. Ragheads. <laughs> Ragheads. Yeah. Man, you might have to edit that part that. out. <laughs> Don't know where my conversation's been lately. But, uh, you know, you spend that first couple of weeks of September just calling in a bunch of dinks, you know, and trying to extend your hunting time. Yeah. Well, you really miss that when you spend your time in Alaska for the first two weeks. You know, you don't realize, like, how special elk hunting is, you know. And I've we had a phenomenal time in Alaska this year. Killed a couple wolves, like, called them in off the tundra and shot them real close. Killed a couple magnificent caribou. Saw some crazy grizzly bears, everything. And uh, you can't, for me, you can't beat Archie Elk. In October? In October, anytime, but you really can't beat. I would say the upside is like people tend to thin out. Oh, big time. They have burned out. Absolutely. You you think so? Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. It seems like once October hits, there's people start thinking, especially in Montana, they're thinking rifle season. Yep. Antelope starting and rifle season's about 20 days away. Uh, it seems like those those last two weeks there, there's way less people. You start to get weather as well. Yep. Oh yeah. I mean it's yeah. The woods go quiet for sure. When you're coming off of a hot September or summertime, you know, and you're used to sixty degrees, and you drive drop drop into October, and all of a sudden, man, it was in the teens that one night. Yeah. You know that that'll scare a couple folks out of the hills. You know. So, for sure. It, but I I don't know if it's like the second second round of rut or what or if just the bigger bulls like what to come you out notice differently about the rut in october because i mean i've spent very little time uh in well i tagged out before i guess i shot my bull in october technically it was like october 1st uh but it seems like the rut can be very different in october i've seen it like completely shut down and i've seen it like around some of the areas that i hunt i've seen it like Where shut is that again <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen it shut. Highlight. I've seen it shut down. Um, I've seen it. I actually did have a buddy kill a three thirty bull in highlight. Everybody should go there. <laughs> but uh, I've seen it shut down in the middle of September. 
you know, because yeah. September is such a wild card because you'll come out of fire season and sometimes it'll just snow a foot. Yeah. yeah. You know, so the weather can really play with you in September. But in October, I've noticed in the last three years and I was I was willing to bet money this year with Jay. I was like, man, let's let's really put in. Let's really put the coals down first part of October for elk. And uh, I mean, we did when they when the bulls were coming out to play like because we chased a couple bulls that were. What was your time frame this year? Just you don't mind me asking. Um, so we actually didn't hunt as often or as much as possible because of our Alaska trip, and we both own multiple businesses. So I think we went in October first and hunted. Wow, you guys it, was September, go- it was September twenty eighth, and we came out like the third of October, and then we had gone back in. So all in October, essentially. Yeah. Well, we had we had done a bivy hunt in and before that in September. Um, oh, that's right. We had, we had done a we had done a couple other hunts, but I had really like I had saved this spot for October. And uh, do you think there's like certain spots that are better in October? I do. I do yeah, I think there's certain spots. Like I, I, I hunt uh, like I think the last time I was on your podcast, I talked about that year. I was going to hunt five different mountain ranges depending on what week it was because yeah. I had witnessed over the years elk will be in these certain spots this time of September yeah. or depending on whether they'll be here and they won't be there. There are other times. So I think so. I think they'll be in certain spots, especially as, as hunters move in the first three, four, five miles of the trailheads, like those bulls are going to go way yeah. back, you know, but I, I still think the bigger bulls get dumber in October. I think they come out and play a lot harder. Cause I mean, we saw a couple bulls that were, they all would have made book that we put stocks on that trip in October we saw nine bulls, and none of them were under 320. Who? On public land. Wow. Where prior to that, when we went in, we went in like the 14th of September for just a two-day bivy hunt, and it was all like raghorns, just yeah. mm-hmm. a couple, like maybe pushing 300 bulls, but, yeah. and they were, I, had cows with them. See, How thought, local do you find them in October? Dude, depend, like the nights I've been in there, I mean, I, I would not exaggerate if I said that every minute of the night, if you stretched your ear, you could hear a bugle. It got yeah. to the point where I was like, just shut up. Like <laughs> night two and people would be like, are you serious? But night two, I was like laying in bed and there's a bull just like 200 yards away to screaming for hours. Like, you know, 20, 30 bugles. I'm like, just, dude, I'm trying to go to bed. Let's shoot you in the morning. <laughs> let's, let's do this tomorrow. Yeah. And it was funny because we would not, we would maybe hear like the very low like leave me alone bugle in the daytime not even 20 minutes before the sun came up we wouldn't hear anything else until 20 minutes after the sun had gone down we wouldn't hear anything we we would we would try to get into bedding areas that we and we had a little bit of success because we kind of saw what was happening and like let's go into the dark timber Let's not push anything, but let's like start sounding like a couple cows working through here. We'd work apart 40, 50 yards. You cow call. I'll sound like a calf and we'll just see what we drum up. And we, we've had success like that. We called, we had one bull working us, but we we're in thick timber where you can hear him breathing. Can't see him. But, uh, they were, they were partying all night. They wouldn't come out during the day. And that's, that's so fun. Cause you just learn so much when you do that, you know, and just try to locate him at night and be like, okay, well, I'll bet yeah. you he's going to bed up in this avalanche shoot at night. Let's get up there in the daytime yeah. in the daytime and see what we can do. I was just say, like, what's your go-to strategy? Like, bulls aren't talking in the daytime. October, specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you uh, just going to work dark timber? 
Yeah, I mean, we so it's did. like almost early season tactics. But okay. we were cutting them off like day three. Once we figured out what ridges they were going up, taking uh, their cows up to, we were cutting them off as quick uh, as we could. And by day three oh, and yeah. four, we were like in bulls only because we we're cutting them off, and then they'd start yeah. talking to us once we we're in close to them. Yeah, so but if we sat down below them or and bugled, they might give us a little groan. But that was it. Yeah, huh. but we yeah we would locate like this one freaking. I'll never forget the force on this bull. But he had a bunch of cows, a couple other bulls, and we would work in close and he'd probably start working around this or he started working around this mountain. So I think me and Nick dropped around and we're like, we're just going to try to get in front of them because they're moving. They're going to bed, you know, and we just try to cut them off because you weren't calling them in, you know. You ever try to call them when they're in their bed? Yeah, I've tried everything, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I've done that, but I've never, I don't, I've never had like good success in bed. I've, I've located them in bed and then gone in and made a move. Yeah, but it's hard um, not to get picked off though. Yeah. Oh, totally. But, uh, I've never had, I've never had it work. I don't think man lately in the last four or five years locating a bull. This is what's always killed my bulls. And I'd say the last four or five years is finding them and then working into those herd bulls with a bunch of cows where they're preoccupied yeah. and then just making an, a real aggressive bugle. And I, I heard it on some, maybe it was Phelps or somebody and they, you know, mammal inhibition. If if you go to Walmart yeah. and some jabroni starts whistling and cat calling Kelsey when you're going in there and you're 10 yards away, you're beating the shit out of him. Yeah. If he's at the other entrance, you're like, dude, whatever. Yeah. Like, go home. But it's mammal inhibition. Yeah. And I, I mean, if you can get in tight like that, I've self-filmed myself with a camera and my cell phone shoot a bull four or five years ago where I got in wicked close to his cows and I just put on the the biggest meanest bugle i could he came right down like a textbook and i shot him you know um so that's what's killed my bulls in the last couple years but i love to call too i mean early season i love calling in bulls well and it's like best case scenario it's the chaos day right it's the day where there's 10 freaking bulls going nuts Mm -hmm. and it's super easy to slip in at that point oh yeah but that just doesn't happen every time you know i think it these days like Perfect case, like if there's nobody there and I knew there wasn't people, because this has actually cost me a bowl this year, but waiting until that chaos moment, like waiting until there's the chaos. You know, you see a bowl and he's like, he's herded up, but you can tell nothing's in heat because he's just feeding with them and he's just hanging out. And, you know, the spikes are over there and they're kind of making noise, but nothing's going on. And then, you know, like tomorrow, it could be tomorrow morning and then mm-hmm. everything just the light switched and everything's going nuts. That's it's way easier to kill that bull. Oh yeah. And that's when earlier you said the herd bull is the easiest bull to kill on the mountain. Mm-hmm. It is on a certain day. Could be. Yeah. I mean, but I've killed him where he's the only bull. I've got a dinky little six point in my shop that you would have thought was a 400 inch moss back bull. Cause <laughs> he had 30 cows, no other bulls, yeah. you know? And as soon as you walked in, it was a pretty chill day. It was yeah, I think it was first day of October, and uh, I call, that was a bull that I called right in. I got in close and came and called. But it sometimes it works if there's chaos, but a lot of times it's just because there's so many critters around. We went and scouted a spot in August, and we were walking with 150 elk. Yeah, with with it sometimes within 50 yards, we got to a point to where they were going to spill out into this meadow and just sat there and just had elk running by you know when there's so much of them they don't pay attention yeah you know so if you can put yourself in those opportunities it makes it a lot easier but 
it, it's I also just love to call for people. Oh, sure. So like if if I take a buddy or I'm tagged out or something like just calling and doing sets, I've had great success doing that. But like solo hunting, I think or doing it solo ish hunting is the best if you can just get in on those bulls that are really tied up with some cows or whatever and get uh, in and, you know, start the fight. And it just, it changes like this year. So the bull I ended up killing little dinky six, but again, had just a mouth on, and it was only that day because I saw that bull probably a few days before. I don't remember how many days. So I'm a few days before I wasn't going to kill him, but then John was going to go with me the next day. So I'm like, John, let's go kill that bull. Like we could definitely kill that bull. He's got a couple cows. That's it. Slip in there. I mean, it's perfect. Get close. And we're cow calling, cow calling. He's bugling. And I start, you know, small bull and he's talking and, I mean, he's right there. He's 120 yards, 150 yards, maybe. And I can see him. It's like, he doesn't even care. He's kind of just walking around doing his thing. We come back out, look down there. He's still with his cows. He was right there the whole time and just did not care. And I was like, kind of screw that bull. Didn't really think about it. You know? And then the day that I ended up killing him, he was just absolutely bonkers. He came over a hill on a different side, just screaming and screaming, ran like a mile and a half down into the kind of where John and I were calling him before. It was just going bonkers, you know, and that day, you know, all it took was a couple cow calls and a bugle and he just came flying and downwind, like mm-hmm. everything wrong, but it was just stupid, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, in that case, that bull's really hard not to shoot. Yeah. I'm Like I said, I'm in it for the fun. Oh yeah. You know, and uh, that, that sounds like a kick in the pants. <laughs> <laughs> I think something we don't talk about enough as hunters is like just the different styles, you know, even if we somewhat do the same style backpack mm-hmm. hunting or whatever it might be from the truck. But that was cool watching Ty. Like he says, yeah, I get in there and do aggressive and he showed me like six different times that works. I was like, yeah, right. Like you're going to get in close and like, yeah, it's going to be really close. And then you're not going to get an opportunity get in there and just growl at a bull and he just get pissed and come run around. And I, I've been in close to bulls and I've bugled in bulls, but like, it's just a different style to do it, you know? Um, so yeah. that was cool to watch and see it, but it also is that, that timing, you know, yeah. maybe it is October, but those bulls are just kind of like, Hey, I'm ready to, to do it, but it's not complete rut fest either, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, and I think there's places, but you can be a lot more aggressive than you think. You know, I think there's a balance. You can't go running through the woods and sound like a person. Yeah. But I uh, think Ty's the first Montana guy I've met that actually calls like a Northwest guy. Because like every I'll other Montana guy is like, you can't bugle. What's your thought it's, on bugle? No, I mean, it, yeah, definitely hunting with you guys and the born and raised guys. Like, you guys call a lot more than, <laughs> than Montana. And I think, you know, like, even, like, the one you're talking, like, getting in close, yeah. definitely done that. And I think it does have success. But the other thing, I know a lot of guys that will get in tight on a herd, and they'll find that cow, and they'll wait for that bull to come swoop yeah. by to come pick them up, and they'll just shadow and just put the call. Maybe they locate it. They might locate mm-hmm. them, but then it's just silent, sneaking, and just shadowing the herd. And eventually that bull is going to come circle oh, yeah. to bring that yeah. cow back over. And if you just find that cow and you're staying pretty close, you have a good chance that he's going to come and not have any idea you're there. Yep. And then you're getting a shot with, you know, a bull that doesn't know that anything's going on. Right. But with that being said, I have seen, you know, getting in tight and challenging right away. And all of a sudden it's like, yeah. it's fight or flight. And generally it's going to be a fight. Yeah. And I think that's why I like hunting like the dark timber, the mountains, that kind of thing. Cause we were talking about hunting like break areas and it doesn't work there. It, well, and I said, I'm like, I, you know, I drew a pretty cool tag out there years ago, but, and at the time had seen two of the biggest bulls and drew on my bow on them. 
And I remember leaving there and calling my buddy, be like, dude, I'm coming back to shoot a five point at 10,000 feet because the damn mosquitoes are huge. <laughs> it's hot. And I was like, and it's, it's just a different hunt. It's super yeah. cool. And James and I had a phenomenal mule deer hunt out in that country. And it's just like, you're just always busy. You just always see them, you know, but like you can't hunt how I like to hunt. You, I mean, you can. It's not I, a lot of calling. No, it's not a lot of calling. Um, it's totally different. It's just way different. Yeah, it's yeah. more ambush. You know, you're waiting for them to come through. You're finding it's them. It's a caribou a lot hunt. Of, it's a lot of spots. <laughs> it's a caribou <laughs> hunt. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I and I can't get past. I need to make myself go on one of those hunts again. Um, but, I man, it's so fun to be into where you can hear them breathing. Yeah. You know, I it's it it speaks to an emotion that you don't get the rest of the year doing any closing deals or whatever yeah. you're doing you know when you when you're playing chess with a critter like that that close it's so good we yeah. draw straws for who got to go after what bowl each day you know and conveniently i would get a shot opportunity or very close to and all my bowls would come in and stop at 30 in like dark timber and i'd see like a tip of like the G five. And I'm like, Oh, I don't know what kind of bully was, but he came in pretty close. <laughs> but you can really run after him. Cause there's that, like that first bivy trip we went on. I lost these two guys. Cause I saw, I, I had a bull run. He cut a game trail in front of me at like 15 yards and he had some good horn on him. And I was like, dude, I'm, I'm following you up like a crazy slutty cow, you know? <laughs> and I chased him up this mountain and there was so many elk kind of moving in and out of the timber that I, I was, maybe being a little too reckless because i'd bump a bull here or there and it would maybe kind of flag or warn the rest or something they knew something wasn't right but there was such a oh such a bunch of elk chaos going on because love probably, was in the air buddy well it wasn't even that really because there was <laughs> this bull was maybe yeah he was a good he was 310 320 bull um but he was uh he wasn't starting the show or anything you know um there's a bunch of little raghorns running around a bunch of cows that we kept getting spooked by but um i could never get him to slow down but i have such a terrible tendency of over the next ridge or like i will follow you till you bed yeah that i ended up losing these guys for the rest of the day <laughs> chasing this thing up the wrong mountain and we're sleeping on this mountain you know <laughs> but uh and a lot of that we so, actually God. lost the camera guy the oh, camera completely. guy's following Ty. He, <laughs> out, go. he outruns the camera guy. I flank up to go call, and I start hiking back up. I'm sitting on a ridge at like 1130, and I look down, and I'm like, there's a guy coming out of that basin, and it's like a mile away. And I pull my binos up, and I was like, he doesn't have a bow with him. And I see his camera on his shoulder, and I'm like, that's freaking Nick, and Ty is nowhere to be found. <laughs> I was like a mile on the other side on the chasing these elk. Nick comes up. He's like, did you shoot something? I was like, I hope Ty didn't because he didn't get on film. <laughs> uh, and I think that that's just goes to, uh, yeah, you hunt by yourself for a while, too, and you just turn you into about that? Yeah, yeah, you're like, oh, oh yeah. I'll sleep where I crashed tonight, you know. But <laughs> Poor Nick, scared of the Grizzlies. No, so funny story. Nick is a solid dude. I'm so glad to be working with him and know him as a person. Um, but the we're at TAC. We're at Big Sky, a Total Arch Challenge. He's like, uh, and he's really soft-spoken, real humble. He's like, yeah, I, uh, I actually killed a grizzly bear last year with a nine mil. I'm like, both James and I are like, you're kidding me. Dude, you're from, where's he even from? He's been in Bozo. He's from like the, yeah, he's the east and uh 
across the river. Yeah, <laughs> I think he was elk hunting in a, a spot that's loaded with grizzly bears. I think he was even by himself. So I think this is like the trial run. Like, I'm in Montana. I'm going to be an elk hunter. Ends up getting charged by a grizzly bear and kills it with a 9 millimeter. He's a handgun <laughs> instructor. Uh, instructor, by the way, though. So he, okay. he's shooting buffalo boars out of his 9 mil. <laughs> nice. But they did deploy bear spray first. Didn't work. And they ended up having to pull pistols. He was with a buddy. Oh, was he? Um, on that, but... Yeah. He's carrying a nine millimeter. Killing it, yeah, carrying. And I've been when when I first started hunting around here as a broke college kid, I carried a nine millimeter for I think, a couple of years. Which Can looking you back, shoot a nine mil plus P like a hundred and forty or hundred even one hundred twenty four grain, like it'll do the job. If it didn't do anything, yeah. it gave me mental insurance. That's all I needed to go stomp around, you know. But. I mean, it wouldn't be my first choice. No, <laughs> no, but we'd run into a couple grizzly bears, and Nick was like, guys, I cannot be involved in a, another one of these incidents. Because he did it all right. <laughs> he did it all good. Like, he called FWP, took them back up there. They um, they cut the bear open and saw that he was actually defending himself, and then they rode him off. His Wait, how did they tell that? His frontal shots, and, oh, and it yeah. had spray on it. Oh, really? Yeah, but... Um, so he's like, he's like, but when I was done with that whole situation, the FWP officer said, Hey, this is just a fair warning, but it'll look bad if you're ever involved in one of these again. And we had actually had a bull, his last light kind of starting to do that little groan bugle. Like oh, I'm getting out of my bed and I'm like, guys, there's a freaking bull down here. We got to get in hustle. And I throw my bio myself. I'm like, James, there's a freaking, uh, there's two wolves down there. And I was like, let's go. Let's go get tag some wolves and get this bull. James is oh really where? Oh dude, those are freaking those are black bears. Or no, I look back up and I'm like oh those are black bears. Never mind. Well we got to get through them. They're literally right in line with where we're going. James throws by he's like those aren't effing black bears. Those are two year old uh, grizz cubs and the sow is fifty yards below them. Look lower and there's a Volkswagen size sow. <laughs> and I was like oh we'll get in the meadow and we'll shoo them off and we'll go. They're also heading straight towards our camp. So we're like, yeah. And when I'm like with James and these guys, I, I got spray and I, I'll actually carry spray or I will spray first before I, James and Nick are both like handgun experts and been through courses and everything else. They're, they're like, no way. Yeah. <laughs> so they do have a grizz course coming yeah, up. Though, yeah. Right? Coming up in April. Yep. All right. We'll click to that in the show notes. Anyway, go ahead. So, we get down in this, and, and this sow was kind of working through the meadow up at us. And I was like, well, we at least need to get to where we can see her first. We don't want any surprises. So I'm, I'm not take note. I'm not like cocky, arrogant, or not afraid of grizzly bears. I'm very conscious of grizzly bears and everything else, but I've peopled enough of them to know that like, they will probably move on. And if one looks at me from funny from 75 yards away, it's probably going to get a 10 mil. <laughs> if it's not, you know, if it's not, uh, if it's not, if it's going to be territorial or it's going to still continue to come at me, like I will start shooting rounds in front of it or whatever. And if it continues, yeah. like at that point, my spray will probably stay and I'll probably shoot. <laughs> but I was like, we need to get on the other side of the tree line to see this sow first. So I'm, we're moving down the mountain and I'll never forget looking back. And both these guys are full tactic, like packing their guns, like 
Delta Force or something, you know. Their <laughs> fingers safely off the trigger. <laughs> I just remember looking back at both the and I was like, oh gosh, I'm the freaking dude that's going to run around here. Hey, man, you know. <laughs> get out, get away. <laughs> There's a hole behind you. You know, but uh, we get down there and. Uh, we were smart with the wind, though. Yep. Yeah, we wanted to get get her to smell us, but we got down there and we ended up seeing her 75, 80 yards or something. And the bull was still too close to like yell. So I was just kind of like, hey, bear. I was like jumping, hey, jumping jacks. We were all kind of like trying to look big and she saw us and, oh yeah, we don't want to. And then she ran right to our horses and tent, <laughs> but uh, she stopped a couple times and looked back, but she kind of. She boogied and we went and put a play on this bowl and never panned out. But then coming back in the dark, we're literally following her trail. I was like, shoot, that might not have been that smart. I wish she would have went somewhere else, but she ended up literally running right down the drainage, right past our tent, hanging out there. We don't know. But I mean, the, this basin's loaded with bears. So, but I think we had, had we seen her or a different one earlier in that trip? But. They all get bumped around. How do you, you know? when you guys are in that situation? Do you not yell because you're like, if there's elk close by, you're like, hey, well, we, we didn't yell. I was like, dude, we gotta kill that bull. <laughs> <laughs> but she caught our. It was pretty impressive, obviously, how well they can smell. And we got the wind, like we said, she was downwind of us, and she caught the smell first because she was like walking away from us. And as soon as she caught that wind, she whipped her head around and stood up and just looked. And I was like, Ew. and then we're, you know, waving. And then she, <laughs> yeah. she took off real quick with yeah. her cubs and, and she was out of there. Yeah. In my opinion, that was the right thing to do. Let her know we were there because we're so close to camp and everything. It didn't even matter about the bull, but then she was gone. <laughs> knew what was going it on. It did too matter about the bull. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think they'd come into camp. I have, I haven't had a bad experience with a grizzly bear. I've seen a pile. We saw seven of them the day I shot my black bear this year. Um, and there, there's a pile of them and I respect them. I don't want to go tangle with one, but, uh, I haven't had a real bad experience and I've been really, I think every year I've been within 50 yards of one accidentally, you know, it's just like, which bear are you going to get? Like, you know, when you're looking at like, you're looking at dog's eyes and some of the times you look in a dog's eye and you're like, that dog wants to kill me. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's the same with bears. Like you'll look in a bear's eye and like, it's kind of like when you walk up, you're like, how's this going to go? Which one is this? Yeah. You know? And like some bears are going to be like, poof, gone. And then mm -hmm. others are just going to look at you. And I do, I found a video, uh, from when I was in Alaska in 2012 and it's pretty cool. Cause it's uh grizzly and the same situation, like we we're going to pass each other. So I'm like, wind's going this way. So I'm like, let's just sneak around it. Like, yeah. obviously I don't want to be like, Hey, but it can't smell me. So we're like, we'll just sneak around it and then he'll catch wind and be gone. We sneak around it. Bear catches wind and just like, Oh, Hey, what's Tasty that? Treat. Yeah. And you can just like <laughs> tell it looked at you like your dinner. And it was like, Hey, Hey bear. And he starts walking closer. And like, just that look in his eye. And I ended up popping a couple 45, 70 rounds in the ground and like yelling and still never, never missed a beat. Just looked like a vicious pit bull looking at you. And he's like debating like whether he could take that gun out of my hands. <laughs> yeah. See it. And I feel like I've got good intellect and gut instinct. Yeah. And if I feel like, that bear's life. That bear's life will never be more important than my two kids, my wife, my employees, everything else. Yeah, I'll do whatever I have to do. Yeah. If if I feel like I need to defend myself, you're damn right, I'll do Dude, it. Dude, that's the eft thing. So tactical guy here. That's the eft <laughs> thing about uh, this, like FWP, whoever telling anyone that has shot a bear, you should probably not do that again. Imagine like we're training 
I don't want to say women, we were training anybody for home defense. Right. And I was like, well, you should probably not shoot if you know, this or that, the other thing in tactical defense, they'll tell you like, if, if you feel threatened, if your life feels threatened, shoot, because you don't want to second guess it. You shoot to kill and you never second guess it. And yet when it comes to bears, we're like, you should probably second guess it. That's effed no. up, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, and how, why would it matter if he had been attacked before? Well, it just would have made him look bad. I, yeah, but that should not be in the I, back it, of your head. Yeah, it's a guy that spends a ton of time in the backcountry. Because as far like, as the FWP a guy lot knows. of those scenarios, you you really won't have time to think. It'll be a reactionary situation. And I've talked to a lot of people that are like, yeah, you don't even have time to draw your gun. So like hypothetically, you did have time to draw your gun. If you hesitated for one second, like, uh, should I shoot this bear or am I going to get in trouble? You'd be dead. Yeah. So I got one quick story to tell you about elk and bears. I was guiding down in Taylor's Fork area. My buddy Nick that I've hunted with quite a bit. You just yelled at him for saying Taylor's Fork and you oh, said it. You can go. Yeah, you can go <laughs> that's, Taylor's that's Fork. Big, that's a big area. Yeah. Uh, Randy Newberg's done that one just. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I ended up bugling a bull for a hunter and he, he piled driving and that bull went about maybe 150 yards and died just on the other side of the hill. Came down with me and everybody that has those situations like kind of has the same story, but, uh, I'm starting to get into it, gutting it. And I just felt something. I actually sent my hunter up to meet my buddy, Nick is why I brought him up. Uh, cause he, I got on the radio said, Hey, we got to bowl down, bring the mules. And, uh, I just got this like hair on the back of my neck and I turned around and there's a bear walking in at like 60 yards by the time I, so we're actually not supposed to talk about FWP as guides. We're not supposed to pack carry anything uh-huh. um only bear spray i had my 44 in my backpack and my bear spray on my hip and so i actually grabbed both and i turned around and i started to scream at him and he stopped and he sat down like a dog and just watched me and i got on the radio to nick i was like dude get down here as quick as you can there's a bear coming in but i knew if i gave that bear like i don't you just go into like primal it's like if i give this bear this elk we're not going to get it back you know and it's just going to be this huge deal there's gonna be a you know a bunch of stuff we got to do to get this elk back from this bear, if even will happen. Yeah. And uh, so I'm screaming. I end up losing my voice at the end of all this because I'm screaming so much. And he just he sits down and then he backs up to maybe like 75 and lays down and just watches me the whole time. And Nick's coming over and he hears me screaming. And so Nick pulls his 44 out and shoots into a tree like probably 30 yards from this bear. He didn't even get up from where he was. He just <laughs> laid down the whole time. And we quartered that bowl up. The mules finally came down, and that what the bear, mules do? They were they were pretty on edge. They were yeah. actually we actually ended up getting it about a half mile and had a big horse wreck because they were just they were getting pretty antsy, yeah. you know, trying to keep them steady. And uh, but I, I couldn't believe it, man. I mean, he just would not, you know, two bullets go off, you know, guys screaming at him. At this point, there's three guys there and two mules and all this, and um, that was de- that's the closest i've been to a grizzly fortunately um but also the most defiant grizzly i've seen too uh, i just i couldn't believe it so one more bear story i did a podcast down in wyoming and i was like totally just picking spots and going picking spots and going i made it to the spot real late middle of the night first day first light i know this is a grizz area and i'm like i'm gonna wait till it cracks daylight before i start hiking in because i don't <laughs> know what's here Smart. i make it I don't know, a half mile, three quarters mile. I don't remember. So it's pretty close. And there's like flagging. It's like dead horse on trail, but there's no date. And I'm like, uh, 
you know, so it's like a foot of snow, and I'm like, man, ah, I don't know. Like, there's no horse tracks, but I don't know how old the snow is. And so I'm like, that's awkward. And so I'm like, hey, bear, hey, bear. And it's tight. Like, you can't see to that window. And I'm mm-hmm. like, this is not good. So, hey, bear, hey, bear, yelling and whatever. And nothing happened. Get to the other flagging. Uh, that was on the podcast. And some guy messages me and he's like, dude, came out from across the river, somewhere back east. I don't remember what it was. That was the first spot he went to. Starts hiking up and got to that same flagging. Bear bum rushes him at like 15 yards. He's like, I didn't even have time to like go for my gun or anything. Bear like gets to right next to him, realizes what he is and bolts the other way. Guy turns around, gets in his trucks done. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, yep, I'm out. (laughs) I've rolled in trailheads where I was meeting buddies for the night and had uh, one of my buddies from Frenchtown actually. He said uh, he walked down the trail and all of a sudden he sees this cub. And next thing he knows is the, Sal is jumping over a 10 foot pine tree to get to him. Ooh. Yeah. And he's like, I'm not going back up in that saddle tie. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, haven't, I haven't had that experience, but, uh, yeah. I would say thankfully. if you're going to like advice, like play in the back country, especially in Southwest Montana, but really anywhere in Montana, I just went and listened to the, uh, bunch of bear biologists and scientists that were over here at the Allen yeah. theater last week. It was very interesting. It was, it was actually really, uh, intriguing, but you know, you got to be trained up on that stuff. You know, the, the tactic guys, they do bear spray and they do pistols. But you also just got to kind of know your surroundings, you know, uh, dead animals. You know, I've actually been on trails where I've seen elk carcasses that still have meat on the bone and nothing's flagged there right off the trail, you know. Yeah. And so you just, you got to be aware, especially uh, hunting around this area for sure. And Wyoming's even worse, I'd say, for uh, bear population numbers. So Don't hunt by yourself, Ty. Oh, so fun though. <laughs> I think that would solve a lot of the world's problems. Like everybody's going to therapists and everything else, man. You learn some things about yourself. You spend a couple nights in bear country by yourself, have to rely on yourself. You uh-huh. know, I mean, I, I enjoy, like, I like to do things with the intention of looking back on them and being able to smile, feel good about it or whatever. But if you can, if you can go into the back country and hunt and, man, even be successful by yourself. You, there's, it's hard to measure up anything else. Everything else in life seems so trivial. Yeah. You know, you go through work and first world problems, you yeah. know, if you can go back and do that and, and enjoy yourself and have fun. And I mean, there's, there's a lot, there's still times when I don't sleep at night, but I'll come home and get snuggle in bed with my hot wife and, and, and then be like, dang it, man, I, I really like this, but I really wish I was in a bivy right now, freezing my ass off with a dinky little sleeping bag, having bulls scream and trying to wake up the next morning and chase them, you yeah. know, and, and, and then to put yourself in situations that you got a problem solving everything. Like, I mean, seeing some of the people coming up in society today, I was like, man, it's a good point. Just go, and for some reason, James and I have employees that like to come to us for advice or something. I'm like, dude, if like, and some, I've told a couple of them, like, man, you need to go camp by yourself in the back. Like, go hike till the sun goes down, and then and then sleep by yourself. And a monk, it's such a quiet, it's such a loud quiet. You'll learn something about yourself, I promise you. Well, sidebar: I was listening to a podcast today, and they were talking about how kids today never have boredom, and so creativity stems from boredom. And I think self-reflection stems from boredom or just 
lo- not loneliness, but like those times where you know, I mean, like you're not bored in the backcountry, but you have a lot of time in your own head. Mm-hmm. And I think kids today never have time in their own head. And you know, like there's 24 seven, you're either looking at, you know, your phone yep. or you're doing something like everything is instant gratification. So like they never have that. Yeah. And like I remember being a kid and just like piecing out, I would piece out very early on a Saturday morning. So I didn't have to work. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause like if you slept in too long, like you got put on a tractor, you had to do something. You're like, if I just go hunting like before the sun comes up and then not come home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's, that's, I, I mean, I've got a nine year old and a five year old question with your kids. At what point will you tell them to go on their own by themselves in grizzly country? Well, they're both girls who love gymnastics. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll uh, rephrase it. When did you, when would you, if you could go back and tell yourself, when would you have told but yourself? But it's so different if it's your own kid though. Yeah. It is. it is. But even like, when do you think you were ready to go solo? Like when, you know, um, looking back on it. So I did it, um, 17, I guess. And, but I, I grew up a lot different than a lot of people today. Um, in the sense, and I still think, and I'll say I was spoiled rotten. If I wanted something, my dad created an opportunity for me to work to pay for it. Uh, he would get, I did concrete from the time I was out of junior high for the biggest concrete outfit in Lewistown, which is tiny. But, uh, but like a lot of people don't grow up like that anymore. You know, like my biggest avenue for escape living five miles out of town was my bicycle. My dad and my mom would let me ride my bike to town in first grade, five miles and home. And I mean, if we had swim team practice or baseball practice, like I'd ride my bike. Um, that was our base. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't check in like, yeah, I was supposed to be home. But my dad was an asshole to where we had a gnarly steep hill, big old hill. And I didn't have before I even had a mountain bike. It's like, dude, you don't get off your bike. You got to ride. If you're going to ride to town, you got to ride your bike. to the top. And like those are principles that were kind of he just always had. You know, and, and I don't think there's enough of that today, but that was my biggest avenue for escape was like, if I wanted to go do something, be somewhere, like I rode my bike, uh, there was, I would get bored, but then I'd go grab my 22 and I'd go into this Canyon below my house that still has like, you know, the magnificent seven of mule deer, like those old yeah. pictures back in the day, yeah, yeah. there was the magnificent seven of whitetail down there. <laughs> and I didn't even know back then. Like, I was like, Oh, these like my uncle Luke was just a hardcore cat hunter, big bull hunter. And he'd have pictures, of all this stuff. And I'd go over to the ranch house and see him and hang out. And he'd tell stories. I just thought that was a pretty regular thing. I ride my bike down there with my 22 and shoot a bunch of songbirds and everything else. And, and see these huge whitetail and, and, and me and the neighbor, boy he lived about two miles away we'd meet and convene you know the missile pole at 10 a.m on saturday morning and we'd go take pictures and everything else well kids don't do that anymore kids don't even ride their damn bikes anymore you know yeah but i think like most people wouldn't let their kids even go up to highlight nowadays by themselves right you You know know, and and that's like it's hard because by what are you not giving your kid by letting them fail or get in trouble god forbid or do something like that and that's that's a big draw for me like i i do love bozeman i love the surrounding area but i don't enjoy what's becoming of it and I mean, we live far enough away that we can my kids can get in their own trouble out there but like i, I you know i don't want to i would love to raise my kids to that traditional sense and i still i can't yeah. i physically can't because of where we're at you know but it does suck today that you know we are so easily entertained 
you know, we, and I'm guilty of it. You know, I had to have, I had to put a damn app monitor on my phone to not allow me to get to certain apps like Instagram and stuff, because I was like, dude, I'm getting on this thing way too much. So I put a blocker on that thing, you know, (laughs) but, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's a bummer, but I mean, I, when I was in third grade, I was Glenn Berry for Halloween. Like, uh, to, to, that, to, I'm to, glad that came up. In the <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. I totally forgot. <laughs> but it's, it's such a different time that I think nowadays, I mean, I got employees that work for me that are 36 and we're in the military that I'm like, dude, you can't barely tie your shoe. Well, that's the, I'm going to quick sidebar is like doing what we do. And I'm not saying it's any better than the guy that just goes from the truck day hunt. So I, there's not a debate there, but there's a very few amount of people that are our age and do the style of hunting that we do too. I would say, you know, I know a lot of really great hunters, but the, the style and there's, there's skill, you know, like I'm not trying to get too sentimental, but when I go in the backcountry with Ty, like I'm trusting that he can get me out if I'm dying, you know, honestly, and he's got to do the same. Like there's got to be some skill set there. You know, and I, I think that was cool bringing Nick, like he'll admit he never really big game hunted before. And like, we got to teach him some stuff. He's like, dude, this is blowing my mind right now. Like he stole his shotgun the day he got home. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I don't know how, if definitely how you're raised has a lot to do with it, but this, the skill set, you know, that you have yeah. too. And you know, I've taken some guys, I give deep. Dustin Diefender for a hard time because that guy with horses is like water and oil, man. Like, but he's a great hunter, you know? And so it's just all these different skills that you learn along the way, but you know, age wise and skill set, it's pretty few and far between that you find a, yeah. It's kind of motivated question for you. What created your skill set at the age, at the experience level? What do you feel like shortened your learning curve? Just, hands down doing it a bunch but i was also motivated by a bunch of stories from some true killers in little lewistown montana you know i can walk into little big man pizza and point out three or four giant bulls from a just a local cattle rancher who just likes to really get after it that nobody knows you know and the dude's just a killer uh, my dad and my uncle hunting with recurves forever and just like hearing those stories being around people like mark nichols from the time i was little that in me created this um, want to match that adventure or something similar like that, you know, and, uh, and then just doing it a whole bunch, you know, I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say I'm self-taught, but my confidence was built on my decisions, you know? Um, And I, I still go, I go into situations with principles, not like, this is definitely going to happen. This, this is going to happen. They won't do this. They will do this. Like you got to be pretty loose leafed on it all, you know, but kind of go into things with some principle, I feel. And, uh, I mean, we, I learn things from James all the time. I feel like we go back and forth. He learns things from me. Um, I learn a lot of patient stuff from him. Cause I like to just <laughs> run down a mountain sometimes and, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but I wouldn't make a decision now without i would never even in business life family anything i wouldn't make a knee-jerk decision knee-jerk reaction decision with anything but i i mean a lot of it's just doing everybody wants to go buy the thing that's going to make them better everybody wants to do this you know and it's i mean i get i love technology i'm an engineer by profession before i went to work for myself but so i see things and i love like to follow the technology and everything else but man there's people that used to do this with tree branches and animal sinew 
and they were successful. Yeah. yeah. You know, like measure that against what we got, you know, and there was, there was something in the middle. Well, the Indian kills the animal, not the bow. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's so many people that want to do this, this, and this, and I'm guilty of it as ever, you know, when I'm racing, I was like, man, I need Fox floats. I can't win another <laughs> race without Fox floats, you know? And, and, and you, I can only say that because I've been there and I fall into that. Now I'll buy equipment that will help me be successful, but I don't need the newest, latest, greatest. People get wrapped around the axle when I say buy, buy tags, not gear. And I love that. It, but like, yeah, if you like, if you have all the tags, then buy some gear or like, if there's a thing, you know, and it's not like, it's just this overarching principle of like buy experiences over a product or a thing mm-hmm. and buy them first. Like, I don't care if you buy the nicest gear in the world, just buy the tag first. There's so many people that I hear like, Oh, I can't, I don't want to buy an out of state tag, but then they'll like have the nicest pack, the nicest bow, the nicest is like, you're hunting one week out of the year. Like buy more time. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's where you're going to get better. I mean, if anything, I've, if I have learned anything in the last five years of being self-employed is that that is what I, if I could take currency in time, yeah, money over time, any day, if I could get that giant chest tattoo, I would, because people don't realize how <laughs> valuable time is, you know, and I fell into the, that corporate engineering world of like, you know, Maybe you worked 40 hours, but maybe you worked 60 hours. Yeah. You know, maybe you hit these numbers this year, but dude, what else did you do? Yeah. Like, and to me, it was, I've cycled that stuff out real early in life to be able to be like, All right, well, I know what I want to do. And I don't care if Tom, Dick, or Harry think I sold this much shit. I, that doesn't make me happy. It's the number of days you all cut it in September. Yeah, or, <laughs> or, or did whatever I want. That you should know? be a currency. You can yeah. afford to go do it, but you don't have the time. And that's the thing. That's like the biggest curse. I thought about that the other day. Like my, my brother-in-law passed away two weeks ago and it was like a huge, it sucks. It takes that to make you think about yeah. your life, you know, and it, it sucks because it, you know, it really made me sit back and I was like, you know, I've always been like, I don't need a camper. Well, what's a camper do for me and my kids and my wife, you know? Well, it creates an opportunity for us on Friday nights in the middle of summer to be like, freaking let's go, you know, but it's kind of hard now if you, and it, Maybe this is an excuse. Maybe I'm not man enough. Maybe I just don't have enough time to throw the wall tent in, throw the cots in, yeah. throw everything else in the sleeping bags, blah, 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 blah. And then go pitch a tent in the middle, you know, middle of the night when you get to where you want to go and you're, then you're my, but what experience is that teaching your kid? Exactly. But what if I get there and I turn my turn Bella loose with her chipmunk 22 and she gets to go run around the hills a lot longer than being like sitting in the truck cab waiting for dad to set the tent up, you know, that kind of thing. So I thought about that and I made that comment to Rosie last night in bed. I was like, oh. If I buy this camper, I could buy this for work. And then I was like, and then she's like, yeah, but then you're going to build your business and work more. And I was like, man, that's, I mean, we've done that forever, <laughs> but I like, I'm not creating time. Yeah. You know, my motto two years ago was make time, not money. Now it's a, it's a double-edged sword. You got to do, you have to re, you have to rethink about that. Cause I'm, I'm 100% guilty of making business decisions for money and not time. Even though it's like from the beginning, everything I've ever done was like, you know, I didn't take over the family farm cause I, wanted to hunt in September. Like yeah. that was it. And every decision from that point on. Now granted, sometimes you fall into that trap. You're like, ah, oh, this opportunity. You do you this. have to. Like you everything's do. balanced. You can't I mean you have to survive. You, right? you have to. But and if, if you got uh, other passions or whatever, I mean I've got some really expensive hobbies. So like it has <laughs> there it's gotta happen. Like you yeah. gotta make the money, but at the same time, you know, I uh I wanna make sure my kids and my wife get the best version of me. Mm-hmm. So I 
and I don't think it's selfish salt because I tell my wife the same thing. I was like, anytime, anytime you want to go do something, you do it. You know, I want you to chase your dream. I want you to show our kids that that's what you're doing because I want them to do that. I want them to marry into that or whatever. Yeah. So Rosie does her fitness crap and she kills it. And my kids get to see the best version of her. I get the best version of her. I do what I want to do. I mm-hmm. fly a couple times a week. I hunt where I want to hunt. I snowmobile if I get a chance, and, <laughs> you know, and uh, it's, you can't live that life worrying about like the building, the business, that kind of thing, because, yeah. it, you know, it's like, well, spend 10 grand on is how many dudes you see at the trade shows that are like, you know, I made, I did it. I made all my money. Now it's time to go hunting. And they're like, well, won't happen. You're 65. You probably can't yeah. climb a mountain, you know? And I'm, <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, this is what's so good about James and I, and, and you and having a couple other buddies that are all entrepreneurs like this is like, you know, I, I could have, like with motocross, for instance, I could have stayed in the industry, but I would have never actually got to do what I want to do. And it's, it's, yeah. it's kind of a curse to that, you know, and, and I'd like to be able to do what I want to do if it's hunting or anything else. If I want to, if me and Rosie want to go to Mexico in every April, we're going to go to Mexico every April, you know, <laughs> but, uh, it sucks that like looking back on my brother-in-law, he just, I mean, healthy, 34 years old, two kids in a business, wife in a business. And uh, stress killed him because of work. Really? It's like, you know, and I listen to a lot of Rogan and he's got a lot of like, uh, he talks about a lot of principal stuff like that. And it initially it makes me want to be like, freaking buy that new airplane, do this, do that, do that. And it's like, you can't do that. You can't like, you, you, it's got to all be balanced. Yeah. You know, in our film that we're um, going to come out with is called Life in Full. And we're both, we're both. Uh, believers in Christ and, and, and we both actually play in a church band here in uh, Bozeman, but, uh, it's a scripture, John ten ten, regarding like even a thief will live a life in full through me, blah, blah, blah. But it's like how, how I don't want to get caught up in like the rest of society, the rest of the world and not actually live the life that I'm after. Maybe try to build up the ego. And I feel like I can say that because I've been caught up in that. I've learned from that. I've done that. Um, and I can't be sold anymore, you know? So that's kind of like a, a part of the, what we're wanting to show in, in this film. Um, and we'll, I, apparently there's going to be a teaser that we get to look at tomorrow, but, uh, you mean last week? Yeah. Last week, <laughs> the power of time, but we'll, I mean, it's, it's, and we're nothing like yeah. to, to humility or what, like we're nothing special. We're just a bunch of dudes that have businesses and families and have a passion for this. And, uh, kind of feel like maybe there's a trend in the industry to fall off that. And I, I think that's, what's so cool about your podcast. Cause there's every week there's someone that I've never heard of that guy. What's he got to say, you know, yeah. and like half the, there's a bunch of killers here in Belgrade that I'd love to introduce you to that are just gnarly hunters yeah. that I feel like everybody should hear. Everybody should meet, you know, and they got probably no interest in being on a TV show or anything like yeah. that. But, uh, but that's, that's like some of the purest, most genuine, stuff lives there in in all of society today you but dude, know? that's like why i love i love doing these podcasts because like to me not that other people aren't real but you guys are like the real the real shit right like it's the people i know or the people i associate or, or whatever and like there's things you can do like as a podcast host right like if i only put super famous people on like my podcast is gonna grow and, and then you know it's gonna make more money and all this other bullshit but it's like the reality is like i want to talk to people like you two or like you guys or like people who are just 
they're in it because they love it more than there's people who are in it to get famous or people, you know, for whatever reason. Yeah. I mean, it, it I mean, I love listening to the big wigs of the industry. Yeah. You know, I, I consume a ton of hunting media. Don't yeah. stop it. Cause I'm, really <laughs> you know, but, uh, I, and I, but, uh, you dream about it when you're, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, ju- I just, uh, when you're working. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's someone out there just get to hunt right now and I'm freaking working, <laughs> but, but no, it's, it's, uh, it's not bad and it's just reality. Yeah. You know, that's and the it, motivation though. Like we do snow removals. So we'd call each other last year. We'd call each other like one thirty in the morning. You ready for a caribou trip? <laughs> ready for a caribou trip? I think we're paying for it now. <laughs> you know, you're just like, that's the motivation to keep going. So Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. It, it's, it's fun, but, uh, you know, it's, it'll be interesting to see the take. Um, cause I had a, have you seen the trailer yet? No, I've just seen a bunch of the cuts and film stuff like that. But like we, we went into this with kind of a mission statement, but, uh, we're like, we're not, not that if it, somebody wanted to back it fine, but I was like, we're not going to be sold. Like, I don't want sponsor money. Like we both paid Nick full price for what you'd pay a cameraman. Uh-huh. Like what he gets paid from these outdoor industries to go on these trips and do these things. And it's not to gloat or anything, but we can, because we want to. Yeah. So that's what we're going to do. And we're going to, you know, at first we both bought nice cameras and had nice cameras. Okay. What did it do? This is like, dude, who in the hell are we kidding? <laughs> we're not camera- I'm not an editor. And I know there's people out there running with-, with camera gear. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, I just hired a drone pilot to film some of the stuff for my commercial snow removal business. And I was like, some of the stuff he creates, I'm like, dude, see, that's what you're supposed to do. I'm not supposed to try to do that. So I know there's people like that. And when we got in touch with Nick, it was like, Hey, like, if, if you will do this, like we want to pay you to do this and be part of this, you know, and it, you know, we're not under any deadline. We're not, you know, we have some self deadline stuff like that, but, uh, you know, we're happy when James build fence and corrals for me, I pay him full price. Like it's, it's like, we, it's just how it is. It's how, that's how reality is. Yeah, for sure. And, we're pretty, uh, strict on to like no product placement, you know, like you can tell what pack we have or whatever, but it's. Well, he does. He's got. He doesn't even wear the same boot on the right foot that he wears on the left foot. <laughs> so <laughs> he'll have a Kuyu top, a Sitka bottom, and everything else. You know, that's and my, that's my uh, ingredients for killing a big bull, man. And it's really hard in Bozeman. I went to college with everybody at Stone Glacier, everybody at Mystery Ranch. Yeah, you know. Uh, know a bunch of the dudes at Sitka. Went to college with a bunch of the dudes at Sitka. Know a bunch of the First Light guys, and I personally like First Light stuff, but. Uh, it, it would be really hard for me to do that. And I like, I fell into that game in motocross and I got boxes of it still. And it's yeah. like, you know, I kind of took a piece of my soul. And one day if I want to wear this, I'm going to wear that. Yeah. You know, it is what it is. And I, I understand like in the reality of it, like if, if I was first light, that's exact. I would put my product on the people that I backed. And I looked at, I looked cause it's some of those people that I looked for. I'm like, Oh, they're running that. That's interesting because based on their principles, I would probably buy that product too. Like it's a product place. It's totally realistic. You know, it's not bad. Yeah. Okay. Sidebar. When are we getting, where's the video going to be? Sides in the show notes. We'll probably do, <laughs> we'll probably do it on, uh, we'll probably have to actually create a whole nother you Instagram page. We'll talk to Nick. Let's <laughs> get the details out. We'll put it in the side. Yeah, we're we're, we're going to do a, a hunt film tour video, you know, and some couple film festival stuff just, and like we said, 
it is only our intention to put out what we do because we would want to watch it. That's awesome. We would like to see someone's version of that too, you know, and I, I enjoy all kinds of hunting media. James does too, but, uh, I really wish there's so many times when I see something cool or we come back and converge and be like, dude, if we would only have that on film or like, <laughs> dude, look what I filmed. Yeah. Do you know how to edit? No, I don't know. how to edit. You know? <laughs> so, you know, it, it's been, <laughs> we did like, I actually filmed a whole bunch. Our caribou, we didn't, I filmed a one wolf kill on my cell phone this year, <laughs> but, uh, but we did, we did really good, but we're like, you know, we'll take it in the next year. See if we draw some cool tags. If we go on another trip or something my brother's actually got a delta alaska delta bison tag that that's gonna be sweet that might go Are you on going that we'll see he's like i don't know if it's got enough adventure for me to go up in uh, i started youtubing him and it's not really a suffer like it should be i feel so which, we'll see which tag is it i don't even know uh, the one that like <clears> it's I not think... the copper river i know oh, okay, that because yeah. if it was that one i'd definitely be going yeah i was gonna say that one that's pretty good yeah but that's it's we want to be able to it, we're passionate about it we love it you know it's not a question if we're going to do it or not uh if we have over-the-counter tags still going to find a hell of an adventure somewhere yeah. you know and sometimes i'm like i actually ran into a butt well andrew whitney in the bar last year and how's your season Did you do any cool hunts I was like dude i had another over-the-counter season it was freaking great <laughs> you know it's so good so fun you know so it's 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 all good and if we could share some of that and like and and you know it's it's not a low-hanging fruit like i mean especially if you're doing the horse hunting as involved as james is like you're earning it Ugh. you know um and showing some of that and and it would be super cool to share that you know it's always something worth sharing because you do anything solo the sure. first thing you want to do is be like man i wish someone else was here did <laughs> you, know? you see that of course not no one's with i don't want to hunt with you but i wish you could have seen that <laughs> exactly so oh, awesome guys well thanks so much for uh Telling some stories, telling some lies, telling everybody about <laughs> your secret spot up at Highlight. Yeah. Oh, dang it. All righty, guys. Fun. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. All righty, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Elk Hunt Podcast. If you love elk hunting content, tips and tactics, all that jazz, then go leave this podcast a review wherever you listen to podcasts at. Much appreciated. And if you're interested, go check out our Elk Hunt 201 course. It's a four-step system for doubling your success. It's a great resource, and it's going to make you a better hunter. I guarantee that, or we'll refund your money. Uh, if you don't get anything out of it, if you don't get $30 out of it, then we'll definitely refund your money. So go check it out. Link in the show notes.